everybody. I'm Mariah Gates with Netflix, and on this episode of Watching With, we are going to be watching Dolomite Is My Name with director Craig Brewer and screenwriters Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. Say hello. Oh, hello. hi. Hello. Hello. How's it hello. Going? hello. We didn't know we were supposed to talk yet. I would have, I would have whooped when you said Craig Brewer. That was a bit delayed. Yes. <laughs> I like a good whoop. Um, so I'm very excited. I've, I've actually seen this movie seven times. Wow. Um, I love this movie. <laughs> um, and I'm not just saying that. So this is great. We're going to count down. Right. I guess all four of us count down, and then we're going to press play, and then everyone at home will also press play. Three, three, three two, two, one. Dolomite. You know, uh, we're watching it actually with subtitles, uh, the, the closed captions, and I've gotten so many people writing to me saying, saying, oh my God, Netflix is so lame with these subtitles. Look at it. Thank you for being mice elf. Yeah. It's like I'd be like, and I'd take a picture of the Sly Stone song and say, no, those are Sly's actual those lyrics. Those are the actual lyrics. That is the title. Yes, it is. Myself. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Uh, wow. Okay. No, well, the here, we are, started. here we are watching uh, Dolomite Is My Name. Yes. Um, this is uh, all takes place at Dolphin's Records, which actually was a real record store uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, it was called actually called Dolphins of Hollywood. And it was run by a guy named John Dolphin, and it was it was uh, it was exactly as you see here. It was a combination record store, uh, radio thing, and they also like they actually pressed their own uh, they had their own little label. And John Dolphin was a really you know an interesting uh, guy, and Rudy actually worked for him. Did you build this as a set? Or? Uh, it's kind of half and half. Uh, this is a real record store in Pasadena. What's it called again? Pubas. Uh, Pubas, yeah. And uh, we went in there and we built this uh, this little uh, radio station uh, booth in the back. And I don't, I don't think they've taken it down. No, it's still, yeah, think, it's still yeah, it's still there. Yeah, they they loved it so much yeah. that it's that it's still <laughs> there. Um, but uh, you know, it's interesting just seeing Snoop here. I don't know if you guys knew this story or not, but. Um, I remember telling Eddie I really wanted uh, Snoop to uh, to to be the DJ, and we were debating whether or not like can Snoop be anything other than like the essence of yeah, Snoop, right. you know. And we we both talked about how oh, it doesn't really matter. He's Snoop, and he just always brings a smile to people's faces. And it's amazing to sit in an audience every time. I mean, you have this this great like uh, uh, gas from people of like there's Eddie right right at the beginning but man it, it even gets eclipsed when it cuts to Snoop in those <laughs> yes. in those uh, yes. in, in, with his with his Stevie Wonder uh, yeah. hair there but and, and I, I was one of those those, those naysayers oh really and I remember debating it with you because I, I was worried because Snoop is so Snooperific right that he would take over the first scene in the movie. Yeah. yeah. And you you and you believed and you were and I, we were on the set that day and it was like, "Oh my god, Craig's right." Well, it, and and I didn't know how right I was yeah. <laughs> because, until after we did the first take because um Eddie came up to me after we finished with uh, Snoop's coverage and he said, "In my in my 30 some odd years career, I have never been in a scene where an actor didn't at least flub or drop one line. Oh, wow. But oh, Snoop wow. was word for word on it. And, 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 and also we need to give props to Snoop because Snoop was at least in the, you know, in the rap and hip hop world was a huge Rudy Ray Moore yes, fan and, absolutely. and always talked about Rudy. And for a long time has been, when I called him up, I was like, we're doing the Rudy Ray Moore story and I can't think of anybody else that has to be a part of it. And he was really touched by that and said that, you know, his love for Rudy is, is real. No, he's gone out of his way many times to say that if, if there was no Rudy, there'd be no Snoop. 
you know, which is amazing. And, it, and it's nice that the movie is just tipping its hat and paying, paying regards to that lineage right off the bat. Right, right, right. I remember a lot of talks about how we were going to get into this movie. Yes. About, about no, it's interesting. Uh, the, uh, uh, I was thinking that too because uh, in the screenplay, uh, one of the things I think Scott and I really like to do in our scripts is, is we always like to make sure people know where we are. So this this scene was very similar to what it is, but we also we 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 let you know that you were in a record store, and we would, we would cut back and forth from Rudy talking to the DJ to him doing his job, and you wanted it to be more of a just you're open, you don't really quite know where you are, you're just on close up of a record, you got in the middle of middle of a speech, and you're just launched into it, oh yeah. my god, you're seeing Eddie Murphy. Well, I felt that it was probably a little bit more interesting to maybe do a big misdirect because yeah. as much as we know that we're going to be ending up in a record store I think it's better to think like oh here's Eddie he's obviously some singer or, or here's 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 yeah. this guy Rudy and he's this he's this you know whether he's a has-been or contemporary <laughs> singer or not but he's he's in yeah. a radio station yeah and then suddenly as you realize like wait a minute we're in a record store oh wait a minute this guy works at that record yeah, store. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and he can't even get he can't even get his can't record get played <laughs> to play his record yeah. in his own store yeah although uh, a friend of mine said to me like, like oh, stoops complaining about his job here's like that sounds like the greatest job of all time yeah. where can i be a dj at a record store <laughs> that sounds like the best job ever oh right. yeah there's fallen time me myself there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so where was this Californian club? Uh, it club once again was a real um, the place. Real, the real one was on Santa Barbara Avenue, which is now Martin Luther King Boulevard. Right. Uh, and the set was uh, right on, off of Sunset, uh, over, right. by, uh, over by El Cid. It's, mm-hmm. I forget the name mm-hmm. of the actual place. Yeah, it was a very small location. And I was, I was. the more movies I've made, I now realize that that's like the big <laughs> thing that everybody worries about. Like, are we going to be able to film in here? Because you walk in on a location, sometimes you're like, oh, this is so quaint and so perfect. And then it's like, well, where are we going to put the cameras? And But I think it works uh, beautifully. Oh, it's fantastic. Really and that does. guy's hat is fantastic. I want that hat so much. <laughs> One thing that nobody really ever talks about about movies, and I have to say, this movie, we were so blessed with the background. Yes. The background actors. And that, I'm just, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's like just all the extras you see in the background. They were they were amazing in this movie and they added a whole other level of authenticity to it. Um, some of them bring in like their own hairstyles to it and really embracing it. But I've never been on a movie where so much of the movie's attitude and, and, and uh, feeling came from just a, the crowd in the background. Yeah. And they never, I mean, their purpose is to be somewhat invisible, but every time I watch this movie, I'm always amazed by our extras. Yeah. And they look amazing and and their costumes are amazing. And it's, it's, uh, you know, I say this to Ruth Carter all the time when I see her, that it's so easy to get the 1970s wrong or broad or isn't it funny that they're wearing mm-hmm. platform shoes and things like this these people they look like they are wearing these clothes yeah. these are clothes that people have gone out uh, and and uh and and purchased and live in and so there's the the extras on a joke i've uh, there's, a, there's a couple 70s movies recently where i where i'm looking at the at the extras i'm like oh my god those are they're jokes right in our movie they're not jokes yeah i, I mean when, when we were shooting at the orpheum i i just enjoyed hanging out in the lobby mm-hmm. just mingling with the extras oh yeah Oh, it's yeah. like I was, I was back in my time machine. I I have to say, there's Scotty's Bar. Oh, Scotty's Bar. Scotty's Bar next door that we named after Scott Alexander mm-hmm. for pointing out that it was it was pointing out the the street that it was. It said Colorado, and I said <laughs> there's no Colorado down in South Central. So we changed the Colorado Bar to Scott's. 
And of course, this is an actual Red Fox track called The Racetrack. Um, uh, Rudy did not, this is something we did actually um, uh, make up. Rudy did not actually work as a dishwasher with Red Fox. <laughs> well, um, that, that, that's Larry. We don't I, know if that well, happened we, or we, didn't happen. We have no idea, but it, it's us just taking interesting pieces of history and twisting it for our own right. purposes, right. which is that in Malcolm X's autobiography, he talks about working as a dishwasher with Red Fox. Yeah. Really? That's where yeah. you took So it we from. turned Malcolm yeah. X into Rudy Ray Moore. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's Rudy working with Red Fox. Yeah. I'd like to have a scene of them in heaven going right now. It's like, no, have you seen that movie about you, Rudy? <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> I wash dishes. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Um, and people always ask if this actually happened. Yes, indeed. Uh, there was, a, a, I guess back in the day, it would be called a wino <laughs> uh, named Rico, mm-hmm. who, uh, who would always come in and bother people at, uh, at Dolphins Records and do these old toasts. Um, and uh, and that's, where, uh, that's where the genesis of... Uh, and here, of here's just a piece of, of just screenwriting pointlessness. Uh, Rico in the movie is spelled with two Cs. Rudy... When Rudy would tell the story, there was one C, but on the script page, Rudy and Rico were both four-letter names starting with an R, and they oh. looked too similar. Gotcha. So we gave Rico gotcha. another C. Well, it's funny because I have noticed in some of the chatter out there about like, wow, Rudy kind of took yes took this from this homeless man yeah. and 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 made a whole career out of it, yeah. and. And as he didn't much pay as royalties. Di- di- didn't do anything to help Rico out, and and I and and yes, that that I remember being on our mind a little bit, wondering a if we wanted to do bit. something with. But Rudy it. However, always told the story. Yeah. I know, I know, and well, it's real. I think that. But I here's the thing. I because I, I actually went off on someone the other night when they brought this up. I was like, uh, you know, this is not. Rico did not invent these these stories. He's that's where I. Them. That's where I come yeah. off. Of it. It's like, well, it's it's when I get you know, I'd I'd be in the. Yeah. Empire writers room sometimes and like you know someone would bring up Elvis and I was like oh let's not get let, let, let's not go there you know <laughs> let, let, let's everything was so nice today right. you know let's not get into an argument about <laughs> about stealing uh you know uh anything from anybody Boone. right but I will say that the the very interesting thing you know regardless of whether or not Rudy took something from a you know homeless man or not is 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 what you bring up that that this is something that is very much in the uh, you know, folk tradition right. where you you I, I I think that you know one of the best examples is like to take a you know uh, like that that uh, what is it the Verve that has that uh, bittersweet symphony song yeah, yeah. and that's, oh yes, yes that's that's sampled off mm-hmm. of a Rolling Stone song which is actually kind of like riffed off of the. Uh, um, Muddy Waters song that was also a staple singer song. So it's like you're you're contributing to a long line of culture yeah. by by taking something and 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 adding to it and then and then and then making it your own. Also, I think it even goes further than that. It's like if this movie was about Pete Seeger, and you showed him going out to a hobo camp and he heard a bunch of old folk songs and then next. Three scenes later, he was playing Carnegie Hall and he played right. one of those folk songs. You wouldn't be like, "Hey, Pete Seeger, <laughs> go pay those bums for that song." You know what I mean? And we, in he, I, you know, I compare actually what Rudy does to what Alan Lomax did, absolutely, which was going out and with listening with a tape recorder, with a tape recorder, getting the old folk songs and recording them and putting them down. But Rudy takes it one step further. He he hears his tales and he spins them and he right. and he and he adds. He, and, he, I, and he I'm sure Rico gave his spin to it. Yeah, yeah. And then Rudy yeah. gave his spin to it. 
Actually, we did write a scene at one point that uh, that was I don't even know if you got to it where Rudy did run into Rico later in the uh, later in the movie. Yeah, and he I think, think he th- Rudy and Rico's asking for money, and he th- and Rudy thinks he's been caught, and he's like, and it was, Rico turns out just wants another quarter for soup, and Rico and Rudy's like, oh, I thought you wanted I thought you wanted residuals. No, he says I, I thought you wanted the publishing. And Rico the publishing. Says, What's that? He says never mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Yeah, I've I found um, that there was a couple of moments that I, I remember us filming and, and me thinking like we probably are going to need to go back and reshoot the finale of the movie inside the movie theater yes. because we're going to find that people love Rico and that people love the Linnell's character right. of the aunt and we would maybe need to show them. But I, I over watching the movie numerous yeah. times, it's still the best way to we, end it. Well, we, um, we, you told us I, that we sent you a page. We gave you that page. You that page. I, I remember having in it. your hip pocket, but I, you, you didn't I, need I it. I have to. I have to talk. About about this man right absolutely, here, absolutely, hundred percent. Your buddy. This is this right here is Claude Phillips, and Claude Phillips was in um, every one of my movies. Uh, he was in Hustle and Flow. He played the junkie that handed uh, Terrence Howard the the um, the keyboard that kind of got that whole thing going. And he was just this Memphis cat that uh, drove cabs and you know was kind of a hustler back in the day. But he came in off the street to audition and and he just he would riff his own lines so I went through this huge drama to try to get him in the movie because this role which is a smaller homeless role was budgeted to be a Los Angeles hire and I was like you don't understand Claude is my good luck charm I have to bring Claude (laughs) in but then I call up Claude and um and and remember if you remember the character's name it was toothless man or toothless homeless man or something (laughs) something like that and I call him up and I was like Claude how you doing and he's like, I'm not good, man. I, I, I'm, I've been my, I got cancer in my cheek, and they, um, and they had to cut, like they had to cut out the cancer and then move skin from my arm to my. So my, my, he goes, I'm, I'm really sad, Craig, because my, my movie career is over. I, I, I I'm, I'm never going to be on camera again. And I let this pause go by, and I said. So Claude, I need you in Los Angeles in another two weeks. I have this. I have this scene wow. for you to do opposite Eddie Murphy, and he came out. And I don't know if you were there that night, but uh, he was great because he knew all of these Rudy Ray Moore uh, monologues that Eddie didn't know. I don't know if you were there when oh, we were no, shooting it, but he began to do his own. Oh, and wow. and Eddie just wow. turned to Claude and just said, "I've never heard that one." He's like, "Oh yeah, that's off his third album." Mm. He knew everything. Wow. Um, this scene right here is uh, one of my favorites to watch. Uh, I think that it is really special to watch the effort of the creative process. It's mm-hmm. like my favorite thing to to see. And if I if I were to like really pinpoint it in my own life, when I saw it and I was like forever in love, was Amadeus. I remember going to see Amadeus with my father. I was 13, I think, at the time. He told me it was about Mozart. I was not interested in it at all. <laughs> I heard it was a long movie, that there would be an intermission. People want wings. Yeah, I just wanted to be home <laughs> watching Miami Vice or whatever it was. I was and, uh, and, and I remember just watching that scene in, in the, you know, at the end of the movie where Salieri is writing down every single line of the Requiem Mass mm-hmm. and you're hearing each individual yeah. instrument instrument line and then it all comes together and I thought it was the most exciting scene I'd ever seen and it, and, and, and even better it made me love the music because you're now part of it the process of of the effort of watching it be made right and so I remember when Hustle and Flow got nominated when 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 hard out here for a pimp got 
it, they said it, best best song nomination hard out here for a pimp and i remember as soon as i heard that it was nominated i was like we're probably going to win that and people were like no there's no way that this is like no because it's different the audience watched it be made yes and it's a different <laughs> feeling when you've watched something sure. be made sure. you're kind of a parent to it so to watch I mean, eddie yeah. come up with with and and that was not I, I don't, in your script it wasn't necessarily written out all detailed like he was right. he was doing we, we no, had you, a couple you, of you expanded it right and and i remember telling him just do this and and we're going to run two cameras on you and and just roll with it and it was so great on this day to watch eddie be subtle and it was mm-hmm. like I'd, I'd never and then, well, yeah, and then I, build I think the into audience being, is recognizing that they're watching rudy but they're also watching eddie yes and i think audiences are getting a thrill out of sort of seeing eddie's creative process yeah yeah. Well, it is one of those weird things where in most movies when you have a character all by themselves talking, uh, it's generally not good. Right. <laughs> but I love every time Eddie is all alone in this movie and yeah. he's actually working things out. And this, of course, this is this for, for me, this was one of the most magic times on the set. I remember showing up to this set a little late. You had just done the first take. Mm-hmm. And I walked in and you looked at me and you're like, Sit down, sit down, <laughs> sit down. Right, how long? We had we had like three minutes. Like press play, just watch. And it was just the one take of just uh, you know uh, uh, of Eddie walking on stage. This is the one where you got it all in, in one shot. Yeah, didn't you? yeah. And it yeah, was we, so magnificent. We added a couple like this moment right here yeah. with the drummer coming in, and I have to I can't yeah. remember his name. Do but you he's remember? Passed, he passed. He's passed away. I know he passed away like a, a day, like the like a day before. The day after we wrapped him, he 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 died. Wow, and uh, but but I remember on this day, uh, it, it's a little tricky. I'm going to try to explain what I mean by this. But when you do music movies, the only way that you can do it one of two ways: you can either decide to lip sync everything, mm-hmm. or you've got to do a pre-record of the music, and then you put earwigs, which are these small little you know. Uh, you know, micro, uh, excuse me, speakers that you put in your ear where the actor can hear the music, but your microphones don't. And, and so if Eddie was going to perform over music and we wanted to get a clean recording of his audio and, and you need to do that because you don't know where editorially you're going to land right. in the, in the piece of the music. So it becomes this really technically complicated thing that I've had to do in my movies over and over again. And I remember trying to, exp- to, to tell Eddie about all this. And he's like, no, man, you just, we just got to like, we just got to do it. <laughs> and so I remember just going in the next day and just like, all right, guys, I don't know what Craig is going to play on the piano. I don't know what the bass player is going to play. Oh, wow. But we're going to run three cameras. And and I remember going over to that to that drummer, rest, well, rest you, his soul. Having, having Craig be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the so fact magnificent. that he's, he's really good at the piano and an excellent, you know, excellent... Uh, a musician, but to go over to that drummer and say, "I just need you to keep the same tempo." Right. If we do numerous takes, you got to promise me that you're going to do the same tempo, and it was magic. It was it was just magic to watch it all come together because it felt organic. It felt I, I, yeah. I this moment was charged in the room. We were, yeah. we're the the extras were experiencing Rudy Ray Moore by way of Eddie Murphy, and it was just joy on top of joy. And his charge in the movie, I mean, when 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 Rudy says, "Don't give me that Buddy Hackett shit," and he starts playing the drums, I mean, I I get chills every time I watch it, only because yeah. you actually feel like, "Oh my God, 
hip-hop is beginning at this yeah. moment, <laughs> which may not be true or whatever, but it feels like, oh, my God, beat to, to rhythmic talking is coming together right here. And oh, wait, okay, yeah, we, we, we can't overshoot over the Linnell. incredible Lunell here. Lunell, <laughs> I mean, is she shows it for three minutes in this movie. And, and she kills, owns kills, kills. Every, every moment that isn't nailed down. <laughs> and I have to be honest here because this is, I, I hope commentaries is where filmmakers and writers learn. <laughs> but... You start getting stressed with your movie, and you start thinking, like, okay, is it too long? What can go? Yes. And yeah, this, this scene w- was on the chopping block for Numerous times. Oh, and it got d- doubly on the cho- chopping block because this was the set with the asbestos. <laughs> right. So, right. So 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 Craig goes to shoot the scene, and he gets there, and then there's, like, like the hazmat people yeah. saying, you can't go inside. So painful. And so it got kicked to the end of the schedule. Well, it's so, so it became funny. It became it's- one of those scenes that you can always cut because it's now going to be at the end of Right. Not not only that, but like we could film outside and there was a pool. And so yes. I remember my editor calling me and saying like, so is, is this pool like a big sequence? Because we have like eight hours of footage. And I was like, no, we just couldn't be inside. And we oh, just wow. kept shooting. You did that crane beautiful... shot so many times. So many times. However, <laughs> one thing that I will uh, say is oh, that she's so great. she is also, there's there, look, I get why the movie is this way, but there's not many women in this movie. Mm-hmm. That that are real characters in Rudy Ray's life, other than you know Lady Reed and 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 his, his auntie here, and I love watching them together. I no, can, if there was a television like show family. just about these two <laughs> characters, no. I'd watch it. Uh, uh, the fact the fact that you can get out of the scene with him pulling a knife on her, and we know it's with love. Absolutely, yeah. and just uh, one of one of Eddie's best ad libs, which is. You know what I think about when Give I think about back home? home? I think fuck back home. What? Oh, fuck back home? Fuck yeah, back that was home is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and, well, no, and, also, and, and, and kudos to the, the electric frying pan. Yes. Which just takes me back to the time totally. period. That's... Also, thing it's, 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 it's also kind of cool when you can in a movie give the people Give, give the person a relative or give the person something that isn't necessarily connected to everything else. Right. You know what I mean? There, we, we did a movie called 1408 uh, where John Cusack is just going through his mail and he opens up a birthday card from somebody. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? But it just means that there's somebody in the Midwest someone who sent him a birthday card. And, you, and so it means there's a life extending out other than on the screen. So the fact that she isn't involved in all the rest of the movie, it, it, says, it says, oh my God, Rudy Moore had a family. He had a past. He, there were people th- that existed who weren't just the five people that uh, are in the apartment all the time. Well, when you start thinking about what you can cut is when you're, is, is the first thing that you, you go to is just plot and narrative. Yep, you think, right. well, what, yep. is, what is germane or not germane right. to the plot? And one could argue that after he had a great night on the stage that he cuts to his apartment oh, and now he's... Of course, of course. But... You know what you could also do? You could be watching Goodfellas and they they kill that one mob guy and they stab him in the trunk and they could have just immediately gone to bury him before stopping off at Martin Scorsese's <laughs> yes. mom's house yes. where where she's got the painting where it's like, hey, this dog looks this way, this dog yeah. looks that yeah. way, and this guy's like, yeah. what do you want from me? You know, it's it's just this flavor that I think it provides the character and makes you feel like you're just not watching a, a, yeah. a locomotive go by. Well, I even thought what this when uh, when Netflix uh, showed us the trailer for the first time that the scene that we all thought was going to be cut was actually the first the first uh, you know that? 15 seconds of the trailer was Linnell yeah oh was Linnell. it yeah yeah uh, Eric Stielberg is the mm-hmm. director of photography of this movie the DP and <laughs> the DP uh, director of photography uh, <laughs> the what and uh, <laughs> uh, I um, 
I really, really enjoyed working with Eric. He was a, a really great collaborator. And one thing that we uh, did um, in our prep is something that I now really uh, love to do, which is we put up cards all over the, the wall that for each scene that like when you write screenplays, sometimes you do this. But we would watch movies all day long, including Dolomite movies and Human Tornado and Disco Godfather and everything. But we also watched um, Boogie Nights. Um, uh, uh, oh God, it'll come to me. Some of the other movies that we watched that uh, um, that that kind of inspired us on this on this movie. But but what we would do is we'd go through each scene and ask ourselves like, okay. What, what are the scenes where story is most important and we need to get out of its way? And we would just put like little colored circle mm-hmm. stickers. What are the scenes that like really are like what I call wow scenes, like where we've really got to pull out the stops and move the camera and do those kind of things. And then you look at all these cards and you think to yourself, like, well, wait a minute, how many years is in this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you start looking at the cards and going like, well, how do we do that? Oh, well, let's have one scene be at Christmas. Let's have one scene be Fourth of July. Like, right. give people like touchstones, you know, that that were the that were moving yeah. forward. But really, what Eric uh, did with the the texture in this movie is both like of black exploitation, but not. You're yeah. you're not feeling like you're watching a movie that is a spoof of black exploitation mm-hmm. movies. It's rich. It's it's textured. The well, the, you, you and, just brought you brought up Eric during that disco ball moment, right? Right. Which is you guys adding a little seasoning. Absolutely, and and it, and it's the and it's Rudy Ray Moore seasoning. What is cheap and sure. effective and yeah. gorgeous? But we also did something on this movie um, that uh, is is kind of a new technology called live grain, and you guys really have to go down to their their demonstration because you'll you'll absolutely love it. But usually when you shoot a movie on digital you're robbed of a um, a cinema look Mm -hmm. because of grain. Now, what they have done is sometimes they will create a look that goes over the whole movie. So it's kind of like a a grain filter (laughs) that's over everything. A grain pass. Yes. This technique really went into the science of how grain of various different uh, film stocks respond to light. Because grain with a, a bright light coming behind the head is is larger than the head itself. And so you could literally go in and plug in a film stock from 1975, and they've got mapped what the grain oh, wow. will look oh, wow. in terms of its color temperature. And then you can adjust it accordingly. So there's the the look of the movie really has to do with Eric's brilliance, but also this technique too that uh, Scorsese started using first. Well, you're, his, you're calling it live show. grain. Are you, are you still it, in post or are you it, now on the set? No, it's not on the set, but however it is, it's while you're color timing the movie, it's a plug in that you can do while you're plugging it in oh, wow. real time. So it's not that you color time your movie and then add this later. You're doing it in conjunction to your, to your, uh, your digital intermediate, your DI. Wow. So um, these are '70s film stocks you're emulating, um, at times, but we, we we not really, not really. We 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 came up with our own little combination of how we wanted it all to to look. Um, and uh, I, I noticed that I think we explored with some because I shot Hustle and Flow on Super 16 millimeter, and it oh. and it and you can tell it has a different <coughs> yeah. look yeah, than, yeah, yeah. than yeah, if yeah, you did yeah, Super totally. 35. 
All right, the Bahari brothers. The Bahari <laughs> brothers. <laughs> we missed uh, our, 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 our favorite uh, uh, cross-complaint to people who write about this movie, and, and people are very loving and favorable, but people keep referring to these four as thugs. <laughs> and these are the nicest four guys of all time. They're running some cheap little label, and they just bend over backwards to hand Rudy money and do him favors in every scene. I agree. Yeah, I agree. But no, because is, they've got accents and their name are, is Bahari, people treat them like they're bad guys. Well, no, in, in a traditional movie, you feel like they're being set up to eventually come in they're with, with pipes or going to break his right. leg so he didn't pay back the debt. Right. But instead, our movie doesn't behave that way. Our movie doesn't have bad guys. No. So they, you know, they come and they give them another suitcase of $10,000. Uh, and they have one of our favorite lines that, that we, we judge people by uh, whether they laugh or not at the, um, uh, when he says, uh, uh, <laughs> what, you think he can cross over to whites? No, he can cross over. Hello, so, Crystal. <laughs> uh, what I love most about, as funny as it says, the, the nudity in this scene is that I've been in so many audiences where there's an audible gasp when she takes off her robe. <laughs> but there's such sweetness oh. in, in what Rudy is doing here, and there's respect. <laughs> I know that sounds funny, mm -hmm. but it's like as much as he's known for being like this exploitation, uh, black exploitation auteur, uh, He's kind of created a family, a loving family of oh. of of misfits, and and I guess that's where I felt I felt okay to be the director of this movie because I remember like my first film, like not having any money and filming in strip clubs and like having you know real car thieves and and there was a certain element of Memphis underground crime that I was in that 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 I had involved in my first movie right. but what I found <laughs> that that happened with it and like the premiere of my movie in Memphis uh, my first movie called The Poor and Hungry uh, we had like the mayor, but also all the strippers from this strip joint called King of Clubs. Uh, that, that that a lot of them were used in your uh, People versus Larry yes, Flint. Yes, yes. Actually, <laughs> um, however, what they all wanted to do was be a part of a good movie. They 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 didn't want to just do a stupid movie. Right. They all got involved in it, just like Rudy got everybody involved, and they felt like they were important in his world. Right. Uh, and that's what I that's what I loved about about the connection at least I felt towards towards Rudy. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think what you did an amazing job on is is giving the movie a sweet feeling. I mean, this this movie uh the language is outrageous. Uh think some of the things are having outrageous, but but there's uh you just love the characters and there's there's the the, the tone you were able to capture. I mean, certainly what we were going for in the script, but I think you actually made it, you, you brought it to life in a, in a big way where just like you really, uh, no matter how many times he says motherfucker, it feels like a, it feels like a movie you want to watch with your whole family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's got a big heart. And also I'll say about this stuff here uh, before we go, because Lady Reed's going to take over the movie in a second, that that initially when Scott and I were going to write this movie, we thought we were going to write uh, a movie that covered all of Rudy's films. 
and uh, and we fell so much in love with the Chitlin circuit and the and the X-rated albums that that ate up like a good you know forty minutes of the movie. And so uh, uh, you know so we that and the more research we did, we realized that the good stories were all from Dolomite. So we we allowed us to take our time setting everything up. Yeah, but this a, just to see all these <clears throat> all these little storefront clubs and. That, that Mississippi establishing shot on mm-hmm. the, those and, Delta trees and the the great uh, the great Bobby Rush yeah well, the great Bobby, know, Rush. Who, Bobby Rush who, amazing. who toured with um, right there Bobby uh, toured with Rudy Ray Moore and Jimmy Lynch for ten years on right. the Chitlin circuit. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but yeah, no, I knew that. I didn't know how years. long it took. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know, I think you did it the right way. I mean, yes, I, absolutely. I, I've uh, w- well, it's what, like, it's like show people stuff they haven't seen before, and it's like I haven't seen these kind of clubs in a movie. Well, but not only that, you're doing something that I, I mean, I know you, you, you two gentlemen have made your career off of you know doing, you know, movies about real people, uh, and and real people that are on the fringe. But I, I don't know if you get the benefit of seeing a full life unless there's something really interesting. Like I can look at um, Man in the Moon and go like, oh, I think I need to see Andy pass mm-hmm. in that wonderful final scene where he's yeah. he's right. getting the joke of being healed by right, someone right, who, right. Who, who is who's <laughs> totally doing a, a, a gag on him. But I, I don't know if this movie would, would serve a, a, a healthy narrative seeing the the last act of Rudy Ray Moore's life. No, 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 no. Or going through any of these movies because yeah. I mean, I, what was it? Truman Capote said life is like a play with a with a really uh, poor third act, <laughs> oh, wow. and that's kind of just what life <laughs> yeah, is. It you is, know, it it's is. like so. What? Why? Why go there <laughs> when the arc of him making this movie yeah. uh, is is so pleasing and takes you to you get to know the essence of a person by way of an event correct yeah no correct. i mean our, our 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 game is always how little time can we cover right and we want we want to be the, the shortest possible period because um, it'll to, play like a movie as opposed to just a, a biopic um, to, to real quick yes. to talk about uh two women who are amazing in this movie uh one is divine joy randolph yes. here uh, and Ruth E. Carter, yes. um, who Indeed. did the the costumes. So uh, Divine here uh, was in a season of Empire that I was uh, producing and writing and directing. Uh, she played uh, a woman who was in prison back with uh, with Taraji Henson with her character, and so I'd worked with her a couple of times and 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 loved her. Thought she was such an amazing actress. Um, and uh, she came into audition and and uh, absolutely uh, blew me away. And uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be honest. It came down to her and Linnell. Right. Yep. And uh, and Eddie, who knew Linnell and loved Linnell, uh, was like, it, "It's got to be Linnell." But he he hadn't seen Devine's uh, reel yet. So he, he thought she was really good, but I said, here's what I'm going to do because I don't know either. I don't know where we should go. Let me let me put them both through kind of like costumes and hair, and let's have them do a whole two minutes of of Lady Reed, mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of, of her kind of Queen Bee monologue. And they both did it, and they both did a fantastic job, but it was, it was very clear that Devine was someone that was so wonderful and everything. 
and then that's when we were like, wait a minute, oh my God, Linnell can be the auntie, and right. and, and and it really worked out. So, um, so the, the first scene that we were doing with Divine was this scene that you just saw with her, her meeting um, uh, Rudy for the first time, and she shows up in this black lace dress, <laughs> mm-hmm. and she looks stunning, and she comes up to me, and Ruth Carter, who's right behind her, uh you know, is always there at the first moment when some, when an actor or actress is in their costume for the first time on camera and she comes up to me and she goes, uh, what do you think? And I was like, absolutely not. You look way too good. I've got nowhere to go with you. And it was this moment where, where divine turned to Ruth and Ruth goes, I know (laughs) it was just so, it was so great. Uh, Ruth is, 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 as, um, amazing as she is, and, and 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 as many awards as she deserves, she's still like a really real down to earth person Absolutely. that it, that is always thinking of characters. So Ruth, who's you know, a, excuse me, let me rephrase, Academy Award winning Ruth <laughs> E. Carter, ran ran to the costume trailers and found a muumu to put her in. And suddenly that scene came alive yeah, because yeah. there's something about seeing this woman in like this house know, big moo house coat, yeah. Yeah, you know, well, coming into a bar. The total character moment because she wasn't going out to the nightclub. Right. She was at home and her man wasn't coming home and she went out in her moo to go get him or, or take care of business at the right. nightclub. But to see her then grow in these yes. amazing costumes, it just, it, it, it. It added a whole other layer to Queen Bee or to Lady Reed uh, that that wasn't there before. Now, see this black and white TV. Yes, <laughs> this is a very subtle thing that I worked very hard. You to worked so hard, hard on so it, so hard. You, you so and the hard. gunslinger. Yes, I wanted Rudy Ray Moore to be having a television in the background, seeing a right there. See it. Some guy shooting at that no, other guy's I, I, feet. I, I didn't see it, Craig. Can you? Uh, <laughs> I know. Is there another shot? I'm not that pleased we can see with the editorial on it, but damn it, I I I I, oh I stressed God. out our our, People, our research to, woman who we was spent trying so to many find hours this. with Craig Brewer talking about where's the gunslinger gonna go. I right? want I want to show a gun a, a cowboy you shooting at another it. guy's feet to make I him dance. I kept on sending you Yosemite Sam, and you're like, you know what? Yeah, I think it was Yosemite Sam and, and right. Bugs Bunny. I was trying to figure out who where I'd seen somebody shooting at somebody's feet and saying dance. Other than Rudy saying "dance, motherfucker," uh, but uh, you know some things happen, and they're just just for the director to know about mm-hmm. in the background. Um, I was like this because I think actually someone was actually holding a real eight by ten of the real Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah, yeah. I think and we I see the it. real Rudy Ray Moore in the Christmas album. We decided to keep him okay. in that in good, that good, as good. well. And once again, praising Snoop, <laughs> he's oh. incredible in this scene. Yep. Oh, he's so funny when he does his little <laughs> dance. <laughs> Uh, I always find little nicknames for scenes, and this scene was the pretty woman. Mm. <laughs> Can anybody get why? Big mistake. Yeah. Big mistake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very I don't good. Get it. She it, comes back to the place where she wanted to buy clothes, and they wouldn't serve her, and she oh, goes, that's right. big mistake with like 10 packages. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there, there, there's his little dance. Oh, I love so it's, dance. it's Rudy coming back to the old record yeah. store that wouldn't play his records, yeah. and he's a mm-hmm. big, big time star now. It's a bad motherfucker. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that song's go. amazing, though. Oh, my it, God. It song, really song is ding dong. I do find myself singing that song. That's Rudy singing, right? On uh, Ring of the Ding Dong? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's not yes. Eddie. Yes. Yeah. That's what we did that in Ed Wood, where we had uh, we had Martin Landau watching uh, White Zombie, which is actually just Bella Gossi and White Zombie. But people don't notice. Yeah. Um, where is this location again? In L.A., it, it, it serves... Uh, 
Is it the oh, one it's, in, it's right over there. Where was Koreatown? where was Robert? No, where was Robert Kennedy uh, killed? Yeah, yeah, no, it's the Prince. It's the Prince. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's the Prince. Right. We shot uh, autofocus in there as well. Yeah. Um, Prince is great. Fantastic uh, location. Now this, this okay, this, this, is, this, this is, is so crazy. Yeah. Uh, oh okay, yeah, you so, guys take it over. <laughs> all right, so uh, uh, I, I, we wanted them to be watching a, a very white seventies movie. Initially, it was going to be Touch of Class with Glenda Jackson and George Segal. But um, it was produced by a shampoo company called Brood, and the rights are very tangled. Uh, and, and so at the last second, uh, we were told that Universal was being really nice and cooperative, and we could have anything from Universal. So Larry and I went through, and we uh, quickly zeroed in on the front page. And what's completely nuts is we were on the set. And we looked up at the screen, and we realized that Susan Sarandon, the there's the shot. There is. She is in the Orpheum Theater. In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, downtown L.A., back in the 70s with Billy Wilder, in the same theater that Eddie is in right now, <laughs> The Orpheum Theater her. in downtown Los <laughs> it's Angeles. so weird. So he's in 2018, pretending to be in the 70s, watching her in the 70s, pretending to be in the 20s. In the is same that meta? Room. I can't. Is that it's considered crazy it's meta? So okay. weird. Crazy. The meta. only crazier meta, 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 meta thing would be if we watched Dolomite is my at name at the Orpheum. At the Orpheum. Yes. And then you, the three of us, be, would be watching. Yes. It'd be that. an echo chamber. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, well, here's the thing. I've got so many people who've like emailed me like, "What do you got against the front page?" Well, first of all, the front page is not that great, but um, but you know, it really worked. That song moment really helped yeah. with that moment. That where moment you look into the light. light. Yes. It really yeah. does. So, I have to say, this is a this is a moment. And looking in the light. That that was you. That was Craig's so, idea. Yeah. So this was the first time that I was directing Eddie moving. Everything else, he was standing somewhere. Oh wow! Okay. Oh. And I'll never forget this moment directing Eddie, saying, "Eddie, I want you to come towards me this way." Right? You got, you and got then, it all in one. And then you're going to move over here and you're going to, to, and then you're going to come back. And he was like, why am I doing that? And I was like, because I want to see these lights behind your head. <laughs> and, and, I, and I remember him coming over to the yeah. monitor and looking at it. And, and, and I was just like waiting, like it was an audition. He just yeah. kind of like his eyebrows went up. He did a little nod and, uh, and, and we were done with it. And yeah. from that moment, he never really kind of asked me like, well, why am I doing that? Because there's just something nice about about I've 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 learned a little bit more about <laughs> sounds so basic height of the camera mm -hmm. like thinking about well when do you start lowering the camera when do you when do you make someone look larger in the in the frame and and uh, like even seeing a dirty over right now which means yeah. you're over somebody's shoulder it's like it, it immediately makes you know him look you know, it makes Dolomite still look like he's small, but then here, well, I'm bigger than life. And it's like, mm -hmm. you, you start seeing this kind of language and visuals. And I, I, Eric was so good to, to find those moments in this movie with me. Right. Oh, yeah, I guess you did another one with, with Eddie when he's walking down the sidewalk with, with, uh, with Titus. That and, long, and it, that long two shot. And then, and then he, he comes into the, and then you moved him around the corner. Right. Right. Into the close up, Yeah. Look at that outfit. Yeah, it's that's an amazing. That's the best outfit. Uh, Ruth loved those yeah. carnations. Um, now uh, I did meet uh, Larry Gordon recently, who was a who ran American International Pictures, and he in loves, the 70s. loves yeah in the seventies. He loves 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 the movie. He's like, but there was one mistake, and I was like, I know uh, there there wasn't a black executive at AIP, and he's like, yes, there wasn't a black executive at AIP. Now you were on set. Was it Blackula or the other movie that uh, Robert Doki, who is our yes. stand-in yes, for Eddie yes. Murphy's father? Yes. Is who is uh, he is in um, his mother's in Blackula and his father's parents. His father is oh she was a poster back in it. He's uh, um 
shoot, I, I'll remember this in a second. Well, but Do- yes, Ro- Robert Doki is a you'd recognize him in a second. He's uh he's also in Robert Altman's Nashville. Um, and he uh, I'll, he plays the, his character's name is George, and he's in not Foxy Brown. What is it? He's in Coffee. He's in Coffee, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, because so he went over. Both of his coffee. parents were in the posters behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is the scene that was shot on the hottest day in Los Angeles. Oh, the hottest hell. day of all time. It, all the thermometers exploded. And really? Went, 110? I mean, yes. we're not making a joke It was 110 here. I mean, degrees, and this was the only extended exterior scene in the entire film. Yeah. And then and, and Eddie, Eddie and Titus were melting. Yeah. The makeup both was wearing, dripping off them. Both the, wearing wigs. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, the, and the, the I felt bad for the, like, the crew like lugging well, around the tracks. We, we and had the three cameras on this day, and two failed. Oh, two, wow. two be, because of the heat. Um, I this, felt, I felt shot, this is the only time my daughter came to the set, and after 30 this, minutes, she said, can we leave? It's so hot. <laughs> this shot that you're seeing right now okay. that of pushing in yeah, to the that. tape recorder, so that's something that I have in all of every single movie. I do one shot like that, which is uh, if there's some music element, you do a push-in on it like that. Mm-hmm. So in Hustle and Flow, there's a moment with... Uh, with Taraji when they're when they're about to make Heart out here for a pimp and Black Snake Moan it was with a speaker and even in my Footloose remake I did like a little like a like a, a kid sing along thing and so there's always a moment where I have to find out well when am I going to be pushing in on the, <laughs> on the on the on the amplifier this is one of my favorite scenes because of the costumes and because of the location this shot right here right <laughs> here oh yeah I, yeah. I just I just believe. You yeah. know, I, I look at those houses in the background and and the barbecue and just the kids running around and everybody just it, it, I feel like this is this is a real place. I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm not seeing Rudy completely dressed up all completely flamboyantly. This this is this is what I call soul right here. Mm-hmm. Cuz at the Oscars they always say it starts with the word. <laughs> Some writers write that? Yes, exactly. Oh, she is so good. Yeah, we we. She's just love, straddling that line, just walking love, right up to it, but not crossing love over. The uh, the play within a play here. Uh, a lot of this came from uh, Scott and I took out uh, to lunch two actors, um, uh, Glenn Turman and Hawthorne James, who were uh, and, and uh, Hawthorne is is in uh, uh, Disco Godfather. Godfather. Yeah, and Glenn Turman, you might recognize, he was uh, he's the lead of uh, Cooley High. But uh, they they both knew Rudy, and uh, they 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 when we took them out, they really started talking a lot about the Inner City Cultural Center, which was uh, uh, basically what you're watching right now, which was a place where. Black performers, black writers, black directors could, uh, you know, they would come out to Hollywood to try to make it in, in the business, could practice their craft because they really weren't getting enough work. And uh, Jerry Jones, who was a playwright, uh, actually didn't do uh, things, I think, at the Interstate Culture Center, but he did teach an acting class and he did do his plays around town. And so we sort of just combined those two ideas together. I mean, and, also Cliff Roquemore, who wrote and directed Human Tornado and Petey Wheatstraw. Right was kind of the house director at the Inner City Cultural Center. Right. He directed a thousand plays there. So it was a way of sort of combining different elements of Rudy's life. Right. Keegan Michael oh. Key. Is he yeah. funny? And Jerry Jones, uh, I uh, I actually m- met Jerry Jones after Rudy Raymore passed. I did an evening at the uh, American Cinematheque. It was a tribute to uh, Rudy Ray. And Jerry Jones came down and Ben Taylor came down, and Nick von Sternberg came down, and so uh, Scott and I met them all, and had a, got, got to have a good sense of who uh, of who like Jerry was as a person, uh, and and thank God we had that because uh, we weren't able to interview him. <laughs> and how he, Jerry managed to write a b- bunch of movies that were so silly, I'll never understand. Yeah, because he was very very serious. <laughs> 
Uh, Keegan is uh, a huge uh, Rudy Ray Moore fan. Right. Can quote numerous uh, lines from uh, all of his movies. And uh, I, I think he's really good in the movie. And, and, he's, and he's, terrific. He's, he's obviously a funny guy, <laughs> but I, he really kind of st- he straddles an interesting line of being, he, he, he seems very grounded out of out of all especially in the mm-hmm. next scene you know he's got to be a little bit of that straight right. man um but I, I i just believe his earnestness and he was I mean? a shakespeareanly trained actor right so yeah he kind of well, he's, he's been the straight man but he's getting laughs yeah he knows how to get a laugh yeah so you, um also the real jerry jones was uh strange enough i mentioned robert altman earlier he was also in robert altman's long goodbye and he's in mash those are the two uh, uh movies that uh jerry jones was in that weren't really raymore movies um, this is one of my favorite. I think every screenwriter loves this scene because you're, <laughs> it's, yes. it's you're you're creating a, you're, it's a writing partnership going, uh, and and this, this Jerry cannot understand uh, how he's what he's doing there. Well, you, you said it's, it's like Rudy's just the world's worst studio executive. Yeah, he, he, he just, just keeps was, trying to yeah. pile on weird development notes, <laughs> more explosions. Um, it was uh, very touching to be at the premiere party and Jerry Jones's daughter. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. And uh, she, she was really pleased. She said, "I'm I'm Jerry Jones's daughter, and I didn't know where this was going." Yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, and she was very moved. She's like, "It was really good to hear Keegan do his voice." And oh. and uh, I, I I always think about. I mean, you know, whenever I put people like, you know, Bobby Rush or like you know people who, you know, who had had a, a a huge moment in their life you know, like decades ago you know uh you want to you want to get as as many opportunities of getting like great talent on camera uh when you can because life is fleeting but like the art really especially cinema just remains yeah. forever and I, I it's so it's so great that uh they look at someone like like Keegan playing Jerry Jones, who probably you know, you we know who he is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but now here, yeah. people are going to know about Jerry Jones, absolutely, and and they're going to know about him by way of Keegan Michael Key, yeah, you know, and absolutely. it's a, it, and the same. I Eddie and I were on set on Coming to America, and we were watching as all of the reviews were coming in, but also just the responses of watching it on Netflix. Like that's the one thing I really loved about having. The movie premiere on Netflix is that I had a different experience than I've ever totally. had than any other movie. The opening weekend was not a stress for me. Monday was not like oh a disappointment. Right. It's like because <laughs> you can never make more money or yeah. ma- make enough money and everything. Right. And so uh, just to have that many people responding to it because they could see it. Right. Uh, and and Eddie and I were were there on set and I go man so many more people are going to know about Rudy. He's like, oh, so much more. Like, as much as you know, Rudy was known amongst so many circles. The fact that this movie now exists, he's gonna he's gonna be known forever. And one of our, of course, what always makes us crazy is then after the fact, everyone acts like, oh yeah, I knew about him. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> they've seen the movie. Yeah, it's like, no, you didn't know who he was a year ago. And you do know. Uh, one of the most satisfying uh, days for Scott and I, we were we it came down to Netflix. Uh, uh, after you locked the cut and uh, showed the movie to Ben Taylor and Jerry Jones uh, mm-hmm. and Jimmy Lynch, and Jimmy Lynch, and so when you're showing the movie to the real people, uh, you never know what the reaction is going to be. You, you, no matter how much love you put into, it, you never know. You never know they're going. I didn't never wore that hat. 
I never, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and this where we walked in. We walked in there in closing credits, and these guys were grinning from ear to ear. They were so it happy. Was so they, sweet. You know, they really felt we nailed Rudy and we nailed uh, the whole process. So that made us very, very happy. Speaking of hats, there's some really great hats yeah. on the guys <laughs> in this movie. And, and yeah. speaking of people. Uh, there's Wesley Snipes. Okay. Now, <laughs> the you man who gonna, showed up with a plan. You know what I'm going to do right now, because I keep hearing about it? If you watch Craig, apparently there's a major continuity error. Yep, oh, the vest is gone. Okay. Craig was talking about it. And now... Hang on. And now I think the vest comes back? I think that's what it is, is that like in one shot, he doesn't have yes! it, and now it's oh, back. Oh, my God. And yes. So, and, and we look at this moment... As it, like Craig brought it up to me, he's like, you know that my vest disappears because I didn't have it on at that at that one moment, and he goes, but you know what? I just felt like that's the spirit of Dolomite, <laughs> and, and we get to have one of those continuity errors oh. that are just glaring, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, I would say the biggest and most rewarding surprise of this oh. whole process. Oh, that is, that, oh, your vest is gone. Yeah. Is gone. <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> See what I mean? And that, oh, that was the best. Whoa, whoa. Like, I never noticed that. I've no, seen this movie a thousand no, times. I made oh, the so damn times. thing. And I didn't know it until like <laughs> wow. until Craig came up to me at the premiere. I go, Craig, I don't think you're right. I don't I think that yeah. I, I don't know if you're 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 correct. And I just saw it for the first so time. So this never came like, up with you and Billy in the cutting room. Uh, never. Never. I'm telling you, never at all. At all. Oh wow! But man, Wesley Snipes. Oh Wesley. And here's the thing: Durville Martin. We'd heard all these stories about Durville Martin, a real actor, and um, you know he's in Rosemary's Baby. He's in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And when Scott and I wrote this, we actually intended Durville kind of be the straight guy. Right. He's the guy who has he's had a real career. He didn't want to be. You know, he looked really down on the fact he had made these movies with these guys, and so he was supposed to be. And that's one of the reasons I think Wesley was when he was going to be cast was perfect because he is an actor. Right. A lot of these other guys are comedians, and it was like the idea of a real actor coming in. And when he showed up and 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 just would, created this character that was like clearly he said to himself, you know, I'm not going to be the guy who it doesn't get laughs and Dolomite is my name. And, and let's let's be honest, yeah. because we were all scared. Yeah, we were all a little scared. We were there that day, and you were looking at us like, okay, what's happening Well, here? because we didn't have any rehearsals or a read-through mm-hmm. on this movie, right. and, and, and I had a great dinner with Wesley, and we cast him, and he got into his costume, and then we saw his Derville. Right. And we were thinking, is this going to work? Is it too over the top? Is it, it, where, does it, where will it land? And it's just one of those magic things yeah. that then you start cutting him into the movie, and you realize that it's perfect. It's a it. I I always talk about it's that it's that story Spielberg talks about about like watching The Shining for the first time and he didn't like it. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 Kubrick asks Spielberg, well, what are your top five actors of all time? And Spielberg was talking about like, you know, Jimmy Stewart and you know uh, Spencer Tracy and all that. And and Kubrick says, well, where's Cagney on your list? Mm-hmm. And Cagney wasn't on his list. And Kubrick was talking about why Cagney's one of the greatest actors of all time because he just has this extra bit that he mm-hmm. puts in mm-hmm. top of the world, Ma. You know, it's like right. you, you are seeing a performance, you know? And I just feel like I've now made two movies with Wesley, and I, I, t- I tell him every day, I just go, hey, man, I'm going to, you know, give you some stuff to think about here and there. And he's very open, very, very kind. Uh, but I, my job is to get out of his way. I think he's I think he's in the pocket right now with, like, oh. w- with, with comedy 
that he's he's amazing yeah, he's and, and to watch people respond to him uh I, I i'm there's critics that have not liked any of my movies and and and, and recently i've seen two critics who are like we love dolomite because of wesley snipes yeah. <laughs> they love him in this movie we were nervous up until like the test screenings i remember yeah. even the, i remember like some of the execs coming on like oh well what do you think of wesley is it, is it too much is it not too you know and yeah we would go like yeah. no he's he's playing huge he's he's, <laughs> he's fantastic in the movie um i love movie magic because I had so many people that have uh, collaborators of mine that have not that did not work on this movie, and they assumed this was a real location. Yep. But this is a set. This is yep. our one big set that we built for uh, for Dolomite is my name is the lobby and some of the rooms in the Dunbar uh, Hotel. And, the Dunbar uh, Hotel it, did, was a real place. And it, and it, still yeah. it is still around, but I, I think it's senior and it was, housing. And it did have all it's the history that now. that that uh, that that we talk about here. It was a very important place and. It had been completely run down with, uh, as we say, junkies and linos, uh, and the real Rudy Moore um, <laughs> took it over, and he lived there for like fifteen years. Yeah. Inside the hotel? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't really figure out why he didn't move out after Dolomite Human Tornado. I think he li- he's living in a hotel. <laughs> why, why would you move out? He's got a whole hotel. Didn't he want plumbing? Yeah. Um. <laughs> 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 oh, oh my god it's funny silent isn't it it, it it's funny uh nervous white people showing up yeah. uh <laughs> in a in an african-american movie every time slays every time <laughs> <laughs> uh, i i've i've done it myself in hustle and flow yeah, yeah. when 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 the character of Shelby shows up, and everybody just automatically you're laughing like. Right. Uh, and, and that introduction is is a good example of sort of like screenwriting bumping up against the reality of, of filmmaking, which is we kept putting driving scenes into the script, and you kept saying, "Jesus, guys, driving <laughs> scenes are so hard to shoot. They're expensive. They're miserable." That's true. And we and we had a very funny scene with the with, with the, the gang of UCLA kids driving down the street, scared out of their minds. I think they see a bum like they see a, a guy, bum, and they're not and they, sure if he's dead. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but just cutting to them in that doorway gets a huge laugh yeah. every time. Yeah, they don't say a thing and people just start laughing. And I it. do love telling people that this is all true. Yes. That this is a that that Nick von Sternberg was the, you know, a UCLA film student mm-hmm. and Well, we we were we were talking with Nick a bit during the writing and during shooting the real Nick, the real Nick von Sternberg and he he said, "Look, I I don't want to be like, you know, a crab apple complaining here, but I didn't have a VW uh, bug. I had a motorcycle during that time period, <laughs> and so when the scene got cut out, I called him up like, "Good news! <laughs> now we're you not getting it wrong." Right. And for uh, movie trivia people, uh, Nicholas von Sternberg here is uh, is actually the son of Joseph von Sternberg, the uh, the great movie director who directed all those Marlena like Dietrich Angel. movies and. Uh, you know, and um, so he actually he did come from, come from a Hollywood background, and I think we actually there was a scene where he talked about it in this movie, but it's just sort of it sort of slowed things down a little bit. It, it, uh, it wasn't really necessary. I think and it, he, it got shot. It did get. It was shot. part of the kung fu scene outside the house. And he wound up having a a, a good career as a, as a cinematographer. He uh, he shot um, Texasville for Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, 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 many people have come up to me saying, who who came out of low budget filmmaking, saying how happy they are to see tying in the power mm-hmm. <laughs> actually showing up inside a movie. Oh right? yeah, because this is something you just got to do. Yes, 
even this film. There's a lot of things like that. I think we're re- all of us are really proud of the fact that there's so much kind of weird, obscure movie making. Short ends. Short ends. Short ends yep. gets explained. I love know? this yeah. kid in the back who's like, I'm on it. And he just yeah. doesn't even question doesn't it. Doesn't even question yeah. it. Yeah. No, that's that's what that's yeah. what movie people are like. Yeah. They They just go for it. And this scene actually comes from a, a real event that happened with Scott and I. Uh, Scott this and I directed a movie called Screwed, starring uh, Dave Chappelle and Norm Macdonald. And uh, we had a we had a DP who was uh, always complaining because he he found it very difficult to light Norm Macdonald and Dave Chappelle at the same to time. put them into a two put shot. Put them in a two shot. And Dave was very curious. Dave, they, I'm surprised Dave hasn't directed because Dave was always curious about how movies got put together. And he was like, well, "Why are you? What's the problem here? What's the problem here? Why are you complaining?" <laughs> <laughs> and the DP was like, "You know, you know." Uh, you know, black skin absorbs light. You know, white skin reflects light. And and they just thought that was the funniest thing ever. So he'd walk around the set. Somehow. And he and he we're in, he's in Vancouver, yeah. so everyone else is white. <laughs> so right. he's going, I absorb light. You reflect light. I absorb light. <laughs> you reflect light. And so when we came to the, write this scene. We're like, oh my god, let's do the Chappelle bit. Well, I was talking to Arsenio Hall on mm-hmm. Coming to America, and I I was saying like I you know we have that moment in Dolomite where we talk about you know, uh, you know. Uh, Black skin absorbs yeah. light and white reflects it. And, and I said I had heard a, a, a rumor that that white uh, women, in particular, actresses and stars, really wanted to be on the Arsenio Hall show over Carson. He's like, oh yeah, that's right, that's that's true because the because it was lit for African American host, right. you had much better lighting oh, wow. for women wow. Wow. Uh, and, their, and makeup and so forth to yeah. appear on Arsenio. So you could take an actress and put her on Arsenio and she looked different than she did on Carson where everything was beige. Eddie talked about it too. Eddie talked about, uh, uh, about how he felt like the first couple of movies he did like you know that like forty eight hours he he hates the way he's lit <laughs> because right. they, you know he wasn't a star yet no one was really paying attention we we went wait, past wait, wait, something we, that, just, we just skipped over my my yeah, favorite amazing, scene amazing that, moment that, uh, that Mr. Brewer. Brewer did here with the, with the, all the lights going on the Le'Veon Rose in the, scene. In the Dunbar on Le'Veon Rose yeah. and it's just it's so magical and sweet and I I just puts a big smile on my face every time it it does me too yeah I, I feel like I I felt like there was a character that that needed its own moment and that was the Dunbar. It was like all these pictures in the background of all these artists who perform there that you can take some. The whole theme of this movie is I'm not over yet. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you look at someone like Rudy and everybody involved in this movie. You look at the very actors and perhaps even the writers and directors on this movie yeah. where we're like, we're, we're, we're still here and we're still got yeah. something to say. We're still here. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we've got something to say. And I felt that the Dunbar Hotel was, was also that. No, character. and that moment says it all in the sense that it's um it's it's a victory. It's a it's you 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 took something that was in the script, just a little tiny piece, and you made it a, a you know a, an uplifting victory for the for all the characters. The movie comes alive. You think that it's possible that they're going to pull this off. Any thoughts on this scene? Yeah, okay, yeah. The, the, this you is have thoughts a, on this it's scene. It's my favorite. It's a great. Okay, it's a, it is it's a great Tell scene. Why do, you, why do you like it? He's so. It's just he's so sure of himself and. Show so you see every reason why he has to do this in his life, with the father and the, the I don't know. Eddie did not want to do this scene. Oh, he's yeah. so good. Eddie didn't want to do this scene, and he called me to his trailer. I'll never, for, <laughs> I'll never forget. It's the last day of shooting. Yeah, it was very yeah, awesome. And uh, yes. I had been on uh, like a diet. I had I had oh, been yes. trying to eat really great, and I avoided <laughs> catering throughout the whole shoot of Dolomite. And on the last day, they were doing chili dogs. And I, I got a huge plate of chili dogs. 
<laughs> and I mean, I, it could, I could barely hold it in my hand. It was just so heavy. And I walk into the set, and my assistant director, great AD Mark Little, yes. said, uh, Eddie has a problem with the scene, and he wants to talk to you. And I'll never forget looking down at those chili dogs, and I threw them right into the trash. Wow. <laughs> I was like, I got to go talk to Eddie. And we talked about this scene, and he was like, I don't want to get too big with this or anything. And I and 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 we in his trailer figured out. He was like, Why don't you write? And then you maybe lose ink, and then that's when you find the picture. Mm-hmm. And really, you're just going to be take some of your favorite lines from any Dolomite movie, and uh, and just just do it. You know, kind of get into character. And that scene caused us a lot of grief once yes. we once we cut it together because there was there was some people my and and I I would go back and forth on the issue as to whether or not the scene was dr- dragging the pace down or should be in <laughs> and then there was that contentious friends and family screening where you said you get to vote in or out yeah and the people kept trying to argue with you saying well, can it be shorter can it be shorter? you're like, like no you don't get to vote on shorter. <laughs> yeah, it's either in or out. The, the, the scene was much longer at one point. It, it, it was, and, 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 I, and then we were getting we were getting fooled by the test screenings because people loved Eddie in the movie, and the scene was in. And then that guy comes into the focus group, and he says, "Well, who thinks the beginning is too fast or slow? Who thinks the middle is too fast?" Or slow? And then all the, everyone they always raise their hand. Right, that is right. too slow. And so this was a clean lift. You could pull yeah. it out, and the movie held together. And then you did a screening without the scene. And but then, I have to really hand it to and people Netflix. Didn't, but I people mean, didn't like Eddie. Eddie Eddie's numbers went down a little the without percent. the scene. Yeah. yeah, and and Netflix really everybody at Netflix was like, it's a good scene, and you should really consider putting it in. Mm. Uh, but they were really accommodating. They said they would they would test both versions, and we did. Mm. And I'm I'm really glad that it's in there because I think it's a it's it's if if you were to look at all of Eddie Murphy's movies, that's a really great and scene. You yeah. really do see him transform from. Rudy the performer to Rudy the actor right. in that scene. Um, Jibber, Jabber. Jabber. Jibber, Jabber. Jibber, Jabber. Um, this coming up is also one of my favorite Eddie moments is when he, when he, uh, when he grabs, um, when he grabs Durable here. here. I'll make sandwiches. Yeah, I'll make sandwiches. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, 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 it cap encapsulates the whole do it yourself nature of, uh, of what Rudy Ringmore is all about. How it wasn't, you know, I've got no ego here. Um, I mean, uh, Eddie's extraordinary in this scene. Yeah, I, I remember at Toronto, hearing people cheer at the yeah. end of it because, yeah. and I just felt I, I don't know if it was true, but I just believed that that was a filmmaker cheering. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah sure. I love how much independent filmmakers and people who love film and people who are making their own yeah. movies by Hooker Crook have embraced this this film. Yeah. It, it's it's well, it's I, really I, special. I think for the 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 three of us, I mean. We all sort of came up making our own movies with our friends, and so we we yeah. sort of we know what that's like. You're making the movie, and you're also making the sandwiches. For uh, for those of you who want to know, sometimes things in editorial, we covered this scene, and my editor put it together, and I was like, no, 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 it's just this, just this angle. Yeah, <laughs> it's just this angle. It's just this slow push in, and. I, it's it's probably one of my favorite moments yeah. in the whole movie. And can we talk about uh, Divine D- mouthing lip syncing the... back yeah. there? And and there's a rumor that 
No one on set saw her doing this. I, I didn't know it until opening night. I was looking at her back there, mouthing the words, and I was oh, like, so oh, good. that's hilarious. It's and this so warden good. is extraordinary. He's he really is so good. good. And this previous scene that we talked over and didn't talk, he's so great when he, he talks about uh, uh, you know all his various jobs his in credits. various uh, African-American yeah. uh, uh, local theater. It's that's amazing. That's actually taken from a from a, a guy named David Ward, who was one of Ed Wood's best friends. Who was a, his dream in life was to be an extra movie extra, and he never could he never could be a union extra. But so the only jobs he could get was playing the bad guy in local black theater. And uh, uh, this, this scene, this house right here, yeah. is from the original the real Dolomite. house, the real driveway. It was great because the sun was going down. We we really are in magic hour right now. And 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 we were really worried that we weren't going to get everything that we needed, uh, and uh, so Eddie's coming to set and he's in the costume and everything, and and we go okay Eddie, so you come around the the car right here and he goes, no, what happens is because he knows every frame yes. of the original Dolomite scene, and there's a moment where he goes <laughs> no, he comes up, he opens the trunk, and then Eddie just starts laughing, he just starts laughing because I think it hit him suddenly. Right. That he's in Dolomite. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> We'd been filming the movie for so long, but right. I think that he saw himself in the costume. He saw the original house. He saw the same car. Mm -hmm. He saw the stunt people dressed up like the guys in Dolomite, yeah. and he just had a moment of, "What the hell am I right. doing?" <laughs> well, he's actually in Dolomite now. Yeah, you know what I mean, he's he, was, he was Rudy Ray Moore before. Now he's actually Dolomite. Right. And, and of all the days for for Nick von Sternberg to visit the set, it was this day. So he's just his brain is melting. That's yeah. Um, I'm particularly proud of uh, this. Um, the sun is really going down on you. It you is. You were just really barely is. getting those shots. Um, this moment right here. Right. Yes, it is. I'm it's amazing. I'm proud to have done. Eddie. Eddie was watching this and goes, "Oh, I see what you're doing. That's so funny. Like that because because this normally would just be like he's just." Facing forward, yes, and watching it, maybe talking oh, it's to Nick so on set. So funny server. that you and have go, him not looking on set. It's like you know, you don't need to look at this movie. <laughs> <Nick>. <laughs> Say action <laughs> and turn away from it all. Yeah, uh, and, it, and it just really worked. <laughs> yeah, amazing. That little moment is fantastic too. Uh. Um, the most important uh, job on a movie is, uh, yes, you could say the writers, mm -hmm. but really, it's um. When it comes to making a movie, it's the focus puller. If you don't have a good focus puller who doesn't know when something's going to change, like this moment, we did not know Eddie was going to turn around. Oh, really? And the, edit, and the focus puller just was oh my God. so fast wow. with this moment. Whoosh. Oh, wow. wow. And, and it makes the whole scene. It does. That it was does. not planned. It's a, it's once again it was a trailer moment. It's yeah, a movie, you know, and this was just a beautiful thing to watch when uh, you. And, 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 oh, oh, they, again, I, the, I, we the, went over. I mean, they're the, like, the, Craig, the, you've covered this. <laughs> the 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 joyful uh, feelings you you would create on the on the set, uh, and that all these musicians were having so much fun that when they they were doing this to playback, but when you would call cut. They would keep playing, yeah, and yeah, they would yeah. keep jamming. riffing on the and jamming mm -hmm. on the song. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. I, I've never seen people do that on a set. They're just having fun. I was very excited about about this whole sequence being on top of the bed of them recording the yeah the song. No, you did an extraordinary job with making the movie musical and making these montages. Not just feel like uh, oh we're, we're we're oh they're making the movie or something. You you they really feel special and they really feel 
Um, you know, it's also <laughs> part of the. I love uh, how you reveal her down there. Yes, and it's, go, it's in the Chitlin Circuit too, where you where you where you start music, then it's and and it's uh, you think it's like a score, but then it was revealed that they're doing it live. Here you start it as live, and it becomes score. Uh, it's just you you know the, these montages are, are extraordinary. I think. The sound design or sound recorder girl in the car kills me every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. every time I see every her, every time. Just so funny. And oh, so I was in New York uh, for something while we were filming, or right before we were filming, and I saw uh, an old guy with a with a parasol just like that. <laughs> and I remember going to to Wesley, going, "I I think I got to have you in a parasol." Oh, just so people know that that, that that slate you keep seeing, take one, take two, that's the real slate from the real Dolomite back yep, in the 70s. It saved me. This shot right here was very important to me. Love this shot. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's something that we will see later in real time, but you're seeing everything that made that shot, and it's it's not so much about the movie as much as about movie making. Yep. <laughs> I love those little seventies zooms you keep throwing in there. Yes, <laughs> you've got that zoom coming up where you uh, where actually you've got a sound effect that, that's connected to the zoom. <laughs> so the day that I um, there you go. go. Yep. yep. <laughs> the 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 day that I think that I became that director, you know, the director who actually gets demanding and maybe uh -huh. raises his voice, was uh, was on this one day at catering when I had the producers around and we were having a discussion about the crew. And that's the people that are in the back here, like holding mm -hmm. the boom and the script supervisor that are the crew, Rudy Ray Moore's crew. Mm -hmm. These these guys right here, right, that he's paying. They were extras, but you can't decide, you can't you can't determine that they will be there all the time because extras right. are, and I was like, guys, that's that's not the case. These guys, the, every one of these crew members have to be established, yeah. which means they have to be, there's like different brackets of pay and everything. And that's when everybody realized like, oh, suddenly like the budget's going up, yeah. you know, because we have to pay these actors. However, I have to say it's like out of all the tantrums that I've probably thrown, I think it's the best because I, I really do believe that that is that is a that's their film crew i i feel that yes, there sure. is that, that absolutely 100%. I, I look at everybody and i'm going like oh i saw them in previous scenes and i yeah. believe it you know that it's it's a family right that moment like that happened when we're doing people versus oj when uh uh it got to the first scene that we were shooting the jury <laughs> and the jury there's a jury and there's the jury extras there's uh, the alternates the alternates so there's 24 and, and it it literally shut down the production for yeah. for half a day because it was like, wait, who's actually in the box? You can't have the same twelve people in the box at the beginning because jurors got dismissed, and it was like, yeah. oh, do, oh my! And literally, people started panicking. <laughs> who's an extra? Who's not an extra? Are they going to be in a later scene? Are they, you know, in the jury episode, which people are talking, which people are not talking. Here's our Fourth of July scene that yeah. I was talking about yeah. earlier, and uh, as the as the night goes on and we start losing extras, it's like you just have like, well, let's just put like four or five people in the background with sparklers, and and uh, hopefully it'll hopefully it'll all cut together and work. And uh, you know, uh, even though the movie is about the making of Dolomite, we felt that we. Uh, uh, had to include certain scenes from the Human Tornado, the Rudy Greatest Hits. Yes, and so the what? the sex scene is actually from uh, from uh, uh, Human Tornado. Human Tornado, uh, the craziest sex scene. I mean, it's yeah. like Fellini level. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Uh, the, the, the sex scene in, in Human Tornado. Right. Um, so uh, for filmmakers out there, I remember pitching this whole scene. At, uh, and so, uh, you may remember, I go, this is the Return of the Jedi uh, Sarlacc pit uh, moment. <laughs> um, uh Meaning when Luke Skywalker is about to be fed into the, the Sarlacc pit, there's this whole moment where you you spend a, a good amount of screen time having all the characters nodding to each other that, mm-hmm. hey, the big fight is about right, to right, happen. Right. We're all in, we're Luke all in it. Luke nods to R2-D2, yeah. R2-D2, you know, then you got Lando, you got yeah. C-3PO, right. you got Princess Leia, right. and then it begins. And that's what is... Uh, uh, that's what we did right before this scene, and I think it helps it. Oh my god, it totally does. Uh, uh, that reaction oh. <laughs> kills every time. Um, this uh, Jill, who is the actress yeah, uh, on on top of Eddie right here, was such a trooper. Yes, had to be naked, half naked throughout the whole day, but all day, you know, yeah. uh, doing this. And she's, a, you know, a lovely person. She had fun. Uh, <laughs> I bumped into her at the premiere, and I said for the rest of your life you're going to walk into bars and people are going to be like yo <laughs> you're that w- yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. that woman from Dolomite yes. <laughs> but the scene is well, a Well it's funny joy- I didn't come down to the set that day because I thought it was going to be a close set and I didn't realize that wait a second it can't be a close set because every single actor yeah. in the movie is, is on this set <laughs> but I will say that watching an audience watch this scene oh. in a movie theater is is one of the craziest things I've ever seen because the to to see people lose their shit over this scene, just laughing throughout it, is is just an absolute joy. Right. They lose it. They yeah. lose it. I mean, I see old ladies that in my movie that are just like ah, like they're grabbing their stomach. They just they, they're laughing so hard. And then it always gets a gasp in the closing credits when you see the Rudy version, and when you see that ceiling coming down, like what? Wait, this really it really happened. <laughs> yes. Ooh, Ooh, Lord. Lord. That smile, that right. Eddie Murphy smile. I love that the all girl kung fu army comes back. Yeah, because they don't mention it for like twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that that, 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 that was that was Craig being resourceful because uh, we we had the all girl kung fu army in the uh, Chuck Norris martial arts studio right. on Wilshire Boulevard, <laughs> the Miracle Mile, uh, with with Howard Jackson who ran it and and was Rudy's trainer. Uh, but you can only have so many locations in a movie, and so <laughs> Craig said, well, can't they just be in the lobby? I, I, I say it over and over again. Television has, working in television has saved my career and my life, really. Like, I, there were so many times I was just depressed trying to get movies going, and then when I had an opportunity to, to produce and write and direct on Empire for three seasons, it was just, uh, it was, uh, a real education and that's where the education really comes in is in like you're there on the day and you can't get this location okay well what are the lines that we needed in this scene can we put it somewhere else and I think that the preciousness of cinema before television was like well no it has to be this and you realize no no sometimes it can work I, I, I now can't Think of it any other place than yeah, being yeah. at the mm-hmm. Dunbar with the with the with the all girl mm-hmm. kung fu army doing that, and it and it works. And and I have to say that uh, I I really got those skills from television, where they don't give a damn what your cinematic <laughs> uh, idea is. Damn it, you better make your day, and uh, you don't. There's no choice. But I mean, to, if I'm getting if I'm getting my film history right, I think the Thin Man, which is a wonderful movie, I believe was shot in 16 days. Wow. And because they were just get in, do the actors. Right. They don't need a lot of sets. Mm-hmm. 
get in, get out. This is one of my favorite scenes, only because it really uh, it it puts uh, both actors are great, but it also puts Rudy in a context. When 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 Durvel, who did work with John Cassavetes, brings up the fact that that you know Rudy's shooting in a similar style, uh, uh, you know the idea that uh, John Cassavetes would mortgage his house in order to pay for finance his own films and would work with his friends and would put it all together and you know just to you know, what we say here get it done, um, and it really becomes. Durvel this entire movie has kind of like not given a shit and not you know he's been drinking he's doing it but here he actually is I mean, he's giving a great piece of direction and uh, uh, I, I, I'm really happy with this scene yeah and and how wonderful just to see these two titans yeah right there look at that yeah Eddie Murphy and Wesley fucking Snipes. I mean, <laughs> Jesus, I can't believe we made yeah. this movie. Look yeah. at them. <laughs> look at them. <laughs> so great. Uh, here's our big meta scene, right? Yeah. yeah. Is, Scott, a, you always talk about this. I, I, I love how we're we're inside the scene and then we're outside the scene and then we go back in and it's it's all seamless. So right now we're in the movie. We are in Dolomite and there, and, and there is Dolomite looking for Willie Green. He's in his nightclub. He's been done wrong. And Willie's trying to steal that club from him and he's going to go confront him. Oh wait a minute! But okay, I get. Okay, I think we're still we're still in Dolomite. Yeah, we're still we're, we're still, still, still in Dolomite. Dolomite. We had Lady Reed do it, but okay, she's still in Dolomite. But we're getting a little wider, and Craig's turning around, and now there's a crew. So now we are outside of Dolomite, right? But and now Eddie's walking up to him, and we're kind of back in the movie again. It's it's I love this whole sequence, and then as it builds into the fight. We still keep going in and out of that reality. Yeah, because you're actually you're following the scene in the movie, but you're showing also that there's a there's a, there's additional drama happening outside of the frame where where people are making the movie. It reminds me a lot of uh, uh, there's a movie called The Stuntman. Oh, the great and stuntman. The stuntman has Richard a Rush. lot of sequences like this where you know you're kind of uh, you're you're looking at the movie on two different levels. Well, this was probably the biggest challenge I had with your script. Right. Um, because you got to this moment in the script and you're seeing the fight happen. And so it begs the question like, OK, well, am I going to do that thing where like now I'm popping into the 70s like look of of the movie and just being in the fight? Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of it, I'll be back into my movie. And I didn't really want to do that. I right. didn't want to do that thing where we're adding scratches and everything. And so then we got the slate. Right. Mm-hmm. And the real slate from Dolomite, and I remember like cracking it, and <laughs> and, uh, and going, wait a minute, this will be our way in. This is how we will, because fight scenes take all day. Yes. So we'll make this whole sequence not a fight scene. We'll make it about making a fight scene, and it can still have the 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 <laughs> dare I say the wallop, the punch, yeah. and the kick, and everything that that a fight scene would have. It does. But, it, but, it, it's an exciting fight scene. Even right. We're watching oh, it being these made. two guys. Oh my god, they're so fighting. <laughs> they are so funny, not knowing how to throw their punches. Mm-hmm. And then just you know the this the, the slate just right. moving us forward, like even like this moment right here. Yes. Bam! Yeah. Whack! Bam, that poor whack, guy. Bam. But what's whack. really great though is the way you do, do things like Dolomite getting shot. Uh, you know, where it's like you're you're, you're filming it <laughs> in a way that that's not, obviously you didn't we, you couldn't we won't film be able it to that see way. It, but right here, Wesley goes, peril. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear it every time. I laugh yeah. at that moment, and off camera, Eddie goes, "No, Willie Green," and I just I howl. I, I every time he goes, peril. Uh, we even got a call from Netflix. Mm-hmm. 
that you know they do quality control on every movie where they go through frame by frame right. and say like hey there's a little bit you know you've got a skipped right. frame here and everything. and they called us up and they said um the gunshot is about 7 frames off of the audio oh. and we said we know <laughs> uh, <laughs> like really it's like yeah no, nothing is is good in this in this fight there's no there's no quality oh I, I, just for the film freaks uh so we got to see the guts get pulled out of uh, willie green here in in the original 1975 dolomite uh that shot gave the movie an x rating wow. but the movie was already finished they had already gone to answer print and because they didn't have any money left they just went in with a pair of scissors so in the in the original movie you see rudy reach down and then there's a jump cut in the in the soundtrack too yeah, yeah and yeah. then it cuts up and now he's holding the guts in his hand right wow i wonder if those guts exist anywhere i don't think they do no i don't think they do so this i told wesley i was like i want you walking out with these guts trailing behind you like while you talk to everybody and kick it <laughs> around and everything and i told him i go you are our spiritual director uh for every director this is how we feel just leaving a movie where really like you know everybody's hugging each other but we really just want to go you know just we've asked too many questions we've had to make too many decisions yeah. and we just we're done <laughs> and this pause is great yeah like craig craig <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're, we're now doing the uh, the the. Uh, I don't know if I told you this, but but Eddie, uh, we were doing that final scene that we were talking about earlier, you know, where he's he's talking to himself in the mirror, mm -hmm. and I needed Eddie for one more shot, and it was the last shot of the day, and I get a call, uh, my AD said uh, Eddie's leaving, Eddie's yeah. taking off his wig, and he's gone. I was like, oh, I I needed him for like an over, but I can probably do a, I could probably do like a like a, a you know stand in or something like that. I was like, well, is Eddie want to come in? You know, we'll we'll do a wrap. And he's like, no, he's in his car. He's he's, yeah. he's gone. He he's 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 on the plate. Yeah, yeah. He's he he's he's doing exactly what Durville yeah. did. No, I was standing. I was saying next you were right next to me, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it was the last shot, yeah, last day of the, of the movie. Yeah. Right. We're and like, I, oh, I guess we wrap. I guess we're done. <laughs> we're done. Yes, we wrapped twenty and minutes I said, ago. I said, not even thinking about it. I go, well, I guess that's a wrap. And then everybody goes, no, yeah, yeah. give us a dolomite wrap. And so we all did the. Yep. That's a motherfucking wrap. Mm -hmm. And then we got the we got the harmonicas and, and moon pies. Yeah, my correctly. tradition on every movie: I don't buy <laughs> gifts for anybody. I, everybody on the cast and crew gets one harmonica and a moon pie. Now, here in the script, there were a bunch of other scenes. There was there was uh -oh. a bunch of scenes where we actually showed Dolomite uh, being screened for various movie executives, and um, uh, you know it being rejected. Yeah. Um, and they were sort of funny in the way that we we loved like doing inside Hollywood stuff, and we had Universal executives complaining about uh, Jaws, <laughs> Jaws overrun, Jaws, Jaws running over, and Robert um, Shaw being a problem. And you know, you so wisely figured out how to cut them all out in this, this, yeah, I this did phone not. call alone. I, I was not the wise man. Mm. I was, and it my, also it also showed uh, Dimension Films screening right. the movie. Yeah, yeah. Dimension Films screening the movie. Screening and my print of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> and that's right. And uh, and my editor said, "What if we just did this?" And and it worked. And and it, and it worked. This happens all the time, where like you'll take out two or three scenes, and you realize that it gives more weight to scenes behind it if it wasn't there. It's almost like it, it's it's almost like taking the air out of a balloon a little mm -hmm. bit. And I found that at the joy of ending. 
it was great to go like, well, it's it's open ended. I'm sure he's he's yeah. gonna have a great screening and everything. And then you cut immediately to him answering this phone yeah. call, which is just kind of a heartbreaking moment. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's uh, uh, Scott and I were at a, a screening of this, and I told this story about how I always get emotional watching this scene for a number of reasons. One is that I've been on the phone. Uh, with my first movie with a bunch of distributors. And I still have my first rejection letter from Concord, which is a, oh, wow. a Roger, Roger Corman's Corman company, company yeah. that I keep framed uh, next to a letter I have from Spielberg. So I have like my first rejection letter and then a letter from Spielberg. <laughs> it's right. always in my bathroom because I know people will yeah. look at them. Yeah. But, uh, but I've had to do this moment right now where you're just, you know, getting rejected yeah. after, you know, place after place after place. But, John Singleton, uh, who's very important in my life, who who got my career started by financing Hustle and Flow, he was here on this day, and it was, um, uh, it was a it was a special day because John, whenever he gets excited about something, and he's he's punched you as well. Like you mm-hmm. watch you watch a movie with John Singleton, and he and he grabs you, uh, and, and he's so loud in a theater and so enthusiastic. <laughs> And if he loves something, he just starts grabbing your shoulder and punching you, and 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 it's it's full of love. And and I haven't I hadn't seen John in a long time, and I made sure he came down to the set for this one day. And as we were pushing in there, he was like, "Are you doing another camera in this shot?" And I was like, "No, I was thinking about just holding." He was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's it." And he like grabbed my shoulder and punched it, and and uh, and so uh, and then and then uh, John came to a couple of our screenings. Yeah. No, uh, great. And and we sat him right next to right next to Eddie, who is very quiet during movies. But John was just howling. And, and John was doing that movie. thing where he he had his fist up, like like at a ball game. Yeah. And he's like cheering the movie. Yeah, yeah, always every movie that John and I would go to, he would just be so loud. And then and then uh, and then John passed away. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel so thankful that he got to see, I got to see our movie. Yeah. Absolutely. We actually had lunch with uh, his daughter today. Today? I, 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 she sent me a text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Justice actually worked yes, she did. on our movie yep. um, on the hottest day, uh, that, that, a couple, <laughs> couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I remember Justice, she was serving water to people, you know, making sure everybody stayed hydrated. And I just like, I, I, I put my arm around her and I was like, well, you know, I'm protective about you, girl. Like, I know mm-hmm. you're like working on my sh- shoot and everything, but like, you stay hydrated if you need anything. <laughs> I don't want you getting dropping, <laughs> you know, dropping from exhaustion on my set. She's like, I'm going to be okay, Craig. And I'm like, yeah. all right, but you know. Um, I love, we recently did a Q&A and someone asked, uh, if Rudy was alive today, well, what, would he, what would he be doing? And we said, he'd be setting up his merch table outside the right. theater. <laughs> so when you walk out, you'd have to buy his T-shirt and his albums and his back scratchers. His back scratchers. There's the black lace dress yeah. that she wanted to wear instead of the movement. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing, because the the... You know, you're always supposed to have these low points at the end of your uh, the end of the second, second act. act, and it was an interesting thing for all of us to make this decision that, you know, it isn't some gigantic big thing. He makes his movie. He actually accomplishes what he wanted to do. It's just that no one wants it, and so he's he's just back. The fact that this being back where he was, you know, yeah. uh, sixty minutes earlier is just it's, it's such a letdown to him. Well, I've talked to a lot of filmmakers who talk about that they have the most connection to that moment more so than even the the the, filmmaking. the making the movie yeah, yeah. they they have the sorrow of like so i made it yeah. and now nobody wants sorrow yeah. of indifference yeah yeah and i've even it, it, there's been filmmakers that have come up to me sometimes after they've shown their movie at a festival or something like that and they go do you have any advice and i was like yeah quickly move on 
<laughs> book, your, book your next yes. job. Yeah. yeah, and quickly move on because you can stay on the circuit with this movie forever and you will just think like, well, why isn't it getting picked up or why yeah. isn't it on TV? or why? And it's like, it, just do the best you can, but move on. You, the victory, it, claim the victory. Yeah. And, 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 and I know it's really unfortunate because I, I did that on my first movie. Like nothing, nothing happened with it forever. And I think it finally got picked up to be on the on IFC the independent film mm-hmm. channel for like it played like a couple of uh, screenings on that but then hustle and flow was like the sundance sure, dream darling. that everybody talks yep. about where yeah. suddenly you you have a movie that's you know getting bid on yeah. and everything but most movies I, I i really most movies i don't know what the percentage is but it's enormous oh. that when you make those movies uh, the way rudy made a movie or the way i made my first movie you're not going to see him ever again. No. Well, like, supposedly Sundance gets 4,000 applications, finished films every year. year. So where did those 4,000 movies go? Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 it's it's really a, de- a depressing time for a filmmaker when they finished. Yeah. And and this, I'm it's glad we got to depression. do this part of this, yeah. uh, of this yeah. story because it's real. Right. And also what, What's great about it is, and, and, and just, you know, talked about my movie uh, a little bit more. So my, my movie that I made on, you know, black and white digital video, um, this is before Hustle and Flow. Uh, it it won like one film festival. And then I went back to my uh, local movie house in, in, in Memphis, Tennessee, and did exactly this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Euphorwald. So Euphorwald. I, w- yep. I, I, I went to Malco. Uh, which was our, our our big theater chain in Memphis, and I said I need to I want to have two screenings of my movie The Poor and the Hungry. And I said okay, it's um seven hundred dollars or five hundred dollars mm-hmm. for two screenings at night. Um, do you have your print? No, I don't have a print. It's it's on digital video. Okay, well you need to rent the projector. So now oh. I'm now, I, now I'm a thousand dollars into a rental projector. Mm-hmm. Did you get and the popcorn? Five hundred dollars. No, I did not get the popcorn <laughs> money. But I'm now looking at a, I remember going into the house uh, in, in, in the, it was the Ridgeway uh, 4 Cinema in Memphis, Tennessee, and hearing all about the, uh, that I had to basically at $10 a pop cover a $1,500 net or nut to, wow. to make my movie. And I did this very moment where it's like, all right, if I can just get Mm-hmm. This many people in at ten dollars a head, I can pay for the very screening itself, and I even had a couple of hundred dollars left over to pay for the posters that I made for oh, that wow. night. Yep. So, I guess the the bigger lesson that I had of the oh, and by the way, it went further. Meaning after after it won that festival, then Malco decided to run it for a week. Wow. And then it was their biggest seller for that oh, week because sweet. it was local and regional, yeah. and it ran for eight weeks. And yeah. then and then because of the deal I made with the studio, or excuse me, with the with the theater chain, I got. You know, I made the movie for twenty grand. I made twenty grand. Oh wow! And so I'd actually Fantastic. pay for itself. So I guess the That's lesson great. I'm getting at, in in the lesson that Rudy provides, is you've got to go around the shut door. Yes, correct. <laughs> you know, you can't necessarily say, "Okay, that's the end." You have to yourself make some sort of closure or make some sort of end to your art. And if that means that you're going to have your own art gallery screen, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of your artwork or if you're going to do a reading or whatever it is, you 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 can't covet Hollywood so much that it destroys your 
Correct. Your your artistic effort. Correct. Even if it's going to be on a local level, that's still I, I no one will ever I've been to Sundance, I've had I've had some of the most incredible opening night screenings. They will never compare to the night that I four-walled my first movie. <laughs> so th- that's the big lesson I think in in this part of the movie that I'm so glad is in here cuz I can totally see this this part of the movie not being in a in a in a major motion picture. It's like what what's really exciting about trying to find a place to show your movie. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know? right. He should just become famous. <laughs> he should make the movie and become famous. Uh, that's whatever. We're so proud of the uh, that we actually the movie stops so you can't explain for Walling. That they talk about Billy Jack and Chrisley Adams and and this of course actually really happened. This actually did happen in, in Indiana. This was the uh uh we didn't shoot there of course, but the Uptown Theater and uh, you know, he ran for midnight shows and uh became a bit of a phenomenon in Indianapolis. We were kids, you know, but back in the seventies there was this company called Shik Sun Classics. Yeah, Sun Classics. That would put out like in search of Noah's Ark and Grizzly Adams and, yeah. and and they and they admitted this whole four walling thing. Right. Where you'd blow in a town, you'd buy a lot of advertising and then you'd get out fast before people find out the movie's no good right well malco theaters the theater i was telling you about that that showed my first movie they decided that they would they would go against their policy and they would show uh dolomite is my name in in their their theater uh even though it was a netflix movie you know they Mm -hmm. they they loved the relationship that we've had over the years but i had the the booker his name's uh, jeff kaufman and he 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 books all the movies and everything and uh when that four walling thing came up, he just lit up. He was just cackling with laughter. And he talked to me after the movie so much about like, oh, I remember that. And he told me about all these movies that it did really well with four walling. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I remember that movie, I wanna say it's called Trois or Menage a Trois. It was like this one African American filmmaker who made this movie and he four walled it. He went mm-hmm. around everywhere and then it became a huge uh rental hit. I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I can't know remember his name. Well, Billy Jack was the most famous one because uh, he made it for Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers released it in '71, and it wasn't a hit. And, and nobody so, done wanted it. Yeah, and and uh, Tom Laughlin ends up like actually buying it back from Warner Brothers and proceeds to go around the country four walling it, and that's when Billy Jack took off wow. and became this gigantic, gigantic hit. This is, uh, I think, one of the the nicest compliments we uh, received was from the filmmaker Alan Arkish. Who made Rock and Roll High School, and he this is his favorite scene in the movie. He just loves it, and he he compares it to uh, the scene in um, Sullivan's Travels, where where the convicts watch Mickey Mouse, and he's like he's like this you, you you know you guys have made this movie about the joys of watching a movie, about what the, the fact that the movies will you know this is really looking up in that light. Once he's in that light, he can transform people. And uh, uh, yeah. and this is actually <laughs> these are actually scenes from the Human Tornado. Though Rudy did lie, and that is not really Rudy. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys Rudy's, were telling me that Rudy that, that Rudy says that that's really me. Well, it's really not me. <laughs> oh, I love Rudy's. I love Eddie's face there. Yeah, that joy. There's okay. so many scenes where he's just beaming. I think my, that, son, my son Casey made that poster in the background. Yeah, Gator Bait. Gator Bait. My my granddaddy, Mar- marvelous Marvin Throneberry, who was a baseball yeah. player for the Yankees and the Mets, and then later became famous with his light beer commercials. Uh, Zardoz, one of, my, one of my one of my what's that? Zardoz, Zardoz. Oh yeah, no, no, that's what the, the guy at Malco talked about. Zardoz, Zardoz. He said totally remember that yeah. movie, Zardoz. But uh, Mar- Marv, one day I'll never forget. It was early when when the video rentals, uh, and he said, uh, "Your mom had probably done want you watch this movie with me, but I'm watching this movie Gator Bait, and Gator Bait became." One of <laughs> one of you know my favorite movies um i am 
I'm so happy that Bob Odenkirk was in this movie, and he's a huge fan of uh, Rudy Ray Moore, yes, and tried to get some Rudy Ray Moore movies happening uh, in his lifetime. Like some, uh, he had, I think he may have wanted to do a biopic or was involved. No, he, with I think it he wrote, they, he wrote, he co-wrote a script that there was a Rudy Ray Moore kind of character in it. Ah, gotcha. It was, yeah. But he was such a uh, such a pro. Just yeah. came in. We had him for like I think one day or yeah. two days. Well, no, because we Scott and I ran into him uh, separately at different events, and and. Uh, and when, the second he found out that we were all working on a movie about yeah. Rudy Moore, he was just like, "This I, shot, oh my god, this shot right here." Uh, uh, the crowd always applauds. They, they applaud at at a the at Abbey a, Road shot. shot. The Abbey Road shot, as we called it. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone sent me a painting of this today. Oh wow! No oh, yeah. yeah. oh, wow! So people are very inspired by that. By Two thousand maniacs. Titus's hat is fantastic. Titus's hat is flying off his head. Uh, every time I watch that extra in the background, pick up the phone, and you hear her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love what she says. She goes, we have a problem. <laughs> and and, right. and it's, it just reminds me, like, it should be in another movie. It's like uh, China Syndrome or something yeah, like we that. Have but... We have a problem. Yeah, um, yeah and Odenkirk basically said, like, look, I will play Anything you want, I'll play any, said, I'll white, play any guy. white guy. <laughs> I'll be the guy who doesn't get the and joke. I, I, I'll be the I angry think, club owner. <laughs> I whatever think we, you need. we emailed Bob on a Friday and he was shooting on a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Lawrence Woolner, of course, is, is a real character. Dimension Films was a real place, and uh, uh, I, I think uh, Dimension it was Lawrence Woolner uh, and, and his his group were a bunch of Corman people, and they left New World and they started their own company. And this is cool. When we were shooting this, Quentin was shooting about two blocks away. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Yep. So if you drove down Sunset, uh, <laughs> last, couple, summer of last yeah, year, you would you would pass 1969 Los Angeles for a couple blocks with all these cars, and then they'd go back to you know the 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 current day, and then you'd pass a 1974 Los Angeles. It was pretty amazing. Um, these scenes are uh, sometimes nightmares uh, to to shoot uh, because you've got a bunch of people. Uh, that, that you have to cover right um and and when i when i stage things i i i don't do a lot of prep in terms of um like i don't storyboard at all unless there's an action sequence or, or anything mm-hmm. like that but i find that if i just show up with a script uh and 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 and, and hang out on the set uh, I can I can kind of figure it out, but luckily Bob Odenkirk was also that kind of a guy. He got there early, and we were like, "What if you get up?" And then you kind of come around, and then, you know, getting back to my height differences, it's like they're kind of like <laughs> they're kind of like on the same height on different ends of the table at the at the beginning of the scene. But then he's got to stand up and be a little bit bigger, uh, and then come around and even like kind of sit over Rudy. And then of course Rudy can't handle that, and he stands, mm. and you know, it's this constant game of power. Um, but, uh, I, I, I really just, uh, he's, he, he does a perfect job of being like that one character that comes in for this one moment. Yes. Also, we've handed him two minutes of pointless exposition (laughs) just because we found it interesting and fascinating and we wanted to educate people about how, uh, Distribution would work on exploitation in the mid seventies. Mm-hmm. It was very important to us to impart this information, like this, where he says, "Resplendent." resplendent oh, he loved that movie word. Palaces. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 God bless Bob. He just he he makes this silly speech fascinating. Yeah. 
I mean, I grew up in the 70s, and th- I would totally, I would drive into Chicago. I, my friends were driving me into Chicago. I was too young. And we would go to these places. We would go to the Woods Theater in Chicago, the State Lake, or, you know, uh, the Oriental. And there were just huge, big palaces downtown where they basically uh, were playing nothing but exploitation. Um, but it was great. Well, you could also see the redneck pictures in the drive-in. I did that, too, but I, st- I stayed in South Bend for that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to rent my redneck pictures. Yeah. Gator bait. Yeah, gator bait. <laughs> gator bait. <laughs> Uh, uh, oh, reaction oh yeah, he's great right there, yeah. holding his heart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this scene right here, uh, you know, I kind of came at the last minute to, that, that they're they're throwing the names up on the yeah. pieces of paper. Yeah, that's nice. Those are both theaters in South Bend, Indiana: the Moonlight Drive-In and the Avon Theater. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and there was also a bunch of other scenes By that way, got cut here. This young guy, this yeah. young Joe yeah. Bo- Bahari. He's great. Um, the real Joe Bahari. Um, Lived in Memphis, Tennessee, mm. and uh, gave Ike Turner a Cadillac and said, "If if we give you this Cadillac, you got to go out and find me some musicians." And uh, Ike Turner went out and found uh, Howlin' Wolf. Oh wow! And wow. Brought him to Joe Bahari, and yeah, there's a big Memphis Bahari connection for those. Oh wow! Did not know that. Characters. Didn't know that. Yeah. Here's the show-stopping dress. Yes, this it is, is the dress. Absolutely. This is the dress. And this is the scene too. I mean, it's uh, it's such a beautiful scene, and it's great when you hear uh, her uh, talk about shooting this scene, uh, where she says that uh, at times she felt like she wasn't really acting; that she actually was literally saying to Eddie uh, how she felt about being in this particular film, and it's just it's it's so touching. That wig. Mm. Uh, is is fantastic on Eddie <laughs> and and Davine. <laughs> the movie never really talks about the fact that everyone's always in a wig. Yeah. Yeah. This is how they're living their lives. <laughs> yeah, he pull, pull on my shit. <laughs> like on, like Tony, it. like Tony's hair is different in every scene. <laughs> I know it's beautiful, <laughs> but it's it's never discussed. I really have to uh, give props to Titus because I think he managed to uh, do what he wanted to do at the beginning of the movie. He said that he wanted to do the character, but he didn't want to necessarily play it overtly gay or mm-hmm. do anything that was close to the character that he played on, uh, you know, on Breakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. And I have to say, watching it all cut together, it, it just comes off very real and very sweet and, and genuine. Uh, I can't say enough about this whole ensemble. Like yes. they, 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 they all occupied their turf of character. You know, one guy we haven't talked about is is Mike Epps, and what I love with Mike in this movie is I feel the history. Yeah, I feel like this this friendship that just goes back a long time before the movie started. I have been. Uh, it's been refreshing to hear reporters and reviewers talk about this scene. Yes, a lot of them have come up to talk to me about this scene. Right. What have they said to you? Well, that they it really makes them uh, gave them pause in the sense that they that when they write their review, they don't think about it stinging. Yeah, and that 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 when they saw the scene, that they, they sort of realized, wait a second, when you these are you know they they actually you're putting a face on the people that they're making fun of. Like I I'm, I I looked at the Siskel and Ebert review of, of Disco Godfather, and they are just trying to be funny and trying to be hurtful. And yeah. so uh, you know, uh, uh, what did they say to you? Uh, that 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 it's a it's a scene that 
genuinely uh, affected them. Right. Uh, like there was two film critics that, that talked to me about this, and that that uh, they don't they prefer not to think about the human element of people being upset by reviews, right. and it, it, it's it's real. I mean, it's still real. We talk about this. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. we 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 talk about like how we're still stung we've by all, we've all been there by yeah. reviewers, right. and uh, there's there's tremendous bite with it all because you know you just you, you don't know when something's going to take off and be a classic. One thing Eddie always said about this movie is that you know you just got to believe in yourself and you got to make it because sometimes the horrible is wonderful, mm-hmm. and the mm. and and Dolomite one could say is. It, you could say it's horrible, but you could say it isn't fit for a blind dog, right? But but <laughs> as we watch it and you have fun with it, you, you're so grateful that it exists, you know. And uh, I I think a lot of the filmmakers that like you and I, uh, Larry, when totally. we were, like like people like you know, there's that filmmaker from Memphis, Mike McCarthy, who makes yes. movies for like you know, a couple of thousand dollars. But man, it's just miracles of movies yeah. that you see imagery and go like, this is now. This exists, and sure. you can't take it away. And even people that are, you know, like George Romero making Night of the Living Dead, which is now one of the greatest films of all time, but it was just, he was grabbing the local news crew oh, yeah. <laughs> to go shoot no, it. No, I mean, when people come up to me and they go, what's probably their most influential movie? I go, well, you know, definitely Texas Ch- Chainsaw yeah. Massacre is in the top five. And they're like, really? It's like, oh, yeah, there's gorgeous moments in Texas Chainsaw. But, God, would that, you know, I mean, like, you wouldn't think that that's got like any sort of cinematic merit, but God damn, I believe it does. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want to talk about this scene for a little while because because it's we handed you something that was kind of impossible. The climax of the movie is was it seven characters in the back of a limousine <laughs> reading bad reviews? It's a terrible idea for a climax. <laughs> yes. Well, and- I'll tell you how I pulled it off. <laughs> uh, I think first you tried to talk us out of it. Well. Um, <laughs> I you try to add extra people in the car too. <laughs> right, right, and 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 there were so many, th- but but really, it's um. And then Keegan, Keegan had a scheduling problem the last second. And you said we can we can just have Jerry just meet them at the theater, right? Right. And we we're like, no, <laughs> he's got to. Everyone's got to be in that car. And we 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 made a new car. We cut it in half, and we 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 and we we got two cars. We cut it in half and made it longer, and that's how we made this limo. But what really makes this moment sing, if you ask me, is the score. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Bomar, who did the score, uh, he did Hustle and Flow and Black Snake Moan with me, but we recorded the whole score in Memphis, Tennessee with original Stax uh, artists and uh, uh, Willie Hall, who's in Blues Brothers and who did all of Isaac Hayes' music. And we, we had a drummer from Shaft. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and I remember talking to Scott saying, like, we need a Dolomite theme. I, I You know, the sadder moments, that's a Rudy theme, but we need mm-hmm. something that almost sounds like comparable to like a Superman theme and we need it to really hit big right at this moment when he gets out of the yeah. uh, out of the car yeah. and then bam you hit with it and what's great is, is that everyone gets a curtain call yeah. it literally is every is, is the major every major <laughs> character gets a curtain call gets a, a full framed intro and applause um, you know when we're we're in this moment now where we're we're doing a lot of Q and A's and we always come to um, the watch the last like ten minutes of the movie because you're waiting to go on stage and I just sit down and watch the limo scene it's, a, it's I could watch the scene over and over and I and I get teary eyed I do too I do too when they're coming in and they're just looking up at the marquee and the line of people it's yeah. you can see the joy on everyone's face right. um. and also just for every you know indie filmmaker or anybody that's doing their thing, you can have this moment in your life. 
you don't necessarily need to have like distribution or suddenly like a movie studio has picked you up. You can have I've I've been to so many moments like this where someone's gone to theater and you just hype it and you get all your friends. Yeah, you can experience exactly what Rudy is yes. experiencing right now. Now, one of the reasons we initially thought we would have to do all of Rudy's movies because we wanted to get to this moment. We wanted to somehow we felt the end of the movie was important to acknowledge that Rudy passed his information is is you know to the next generation. When, that when, he when Snoop hip-hop. and Easy E would say. Rudy was the godfather of rap. Right. So we, we felt we had, we had to, to get, get the film. to the 80s to do that. And uh, since we weren't doing that, we, we, we had to come up with another way. And so the idea of this this kid who who listened to Rudy's albums and just was sort of aping him, we, you could see that, I mean, he literally passes his pimp cane down to the future generation. Yeah. And I really love this uh, young actor. Um, he 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 was he was good, but what I liked is you know I liked his size and 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 because that was me. I I, no. I I looked exactly, uh, <laughs> and and you know it 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 I can see him playing Rudy's albums over yeah, and over yeah, and yeah. over yeah. again, and and it just felt right to right. me. This is also a thing we talked about. Uh, it's funny, the beginning, the first scene and the last scene, we would always, uh, in terms of the director and the screenwriter, it would always be like, all right, at what moment do they go in? What moment do they come back it's out? Is Lady Reed there? Is arguments. We would have so many arguments. over, is this an interior or is this an exterior? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're under the marquee, <laughs> yep. but they're on the sidewalk. And yeah. the kid is a kid, so he can only work so many hours before. Right, right. so we got to have too him late. inside, right. right. But, uh, but I think that also says how well we matched as director writing team, and that that was the that was that was the most furious moment right. we ever. Had. How <laughs> dare you know, you know they're they're in the doorway. All right, <laughs> all right. So so this this event with with Rudy on the sidewalk really happened at the Woods Theater in Chicago. Rudy found out there was going to be a midnight show and a two a.m. show, and he stayed outside with the crowd. And it's it's kind of a weird piece of trivia, but we just thought it was so sweet and said so much about how much Rudy valued his audience that it could be an ending. Yeah. And it also just gives you the difference between movie stars and performers, yeah. you know? I yeah. Mean, he, he wants that contact. Yeah. He, he, he wants to touch the people that are right in front of him, you know? And oh, I, it that's has a great been shot. great. I love this shot and I love the words. And I have seen yeah. so many people like on Twitter and on Instagram basically write this yes. down. Yeah. Uh, the shoot from the moon, and if you miss it, cling to a motherfucking star. It was something we were just going through all these toasts, all these toasts, looking for the one that seemed to, to li- love, live the life, live that, life that you love, love yeah. the life that you yeah. live. Yeah. And there you go. There you go. And uh, this was a fun movie. Yes, it was. It really was. I don't, I, I don't think that I'm, you know. There's a real it, man. It, it's, it's really going to be hard to top the experience of making this movie. Yeah. Uh, I felt like it, it, we keep saying the word meta a lot, but I felt like we were living it a little bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was uh, that there was we were all making this movie and I don't think anybody even in Hollywood really thought much of it either. No. You know what I mean? No. Like it was it, 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 what they uh, and even what like, dur- during the shooting at uh, some nights, some some of Rudy's gang, some like you know, Mike or, or Craig would, would just be hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. Just because everyone was having a good time. Um. Yeah, it was joyful, and and that's I think why the movie is so joyful. Is it was a the entire experience, and I'm I think we're extremely proud of that <laughs> that closing, <laughs> that closing card. Yeah, yeah. He continued fucking up. No, I read that and I was like, that is the best. Yeah. And then of course uh, the dedication. <laughs> yeah, to Charlie. Yeah. Charlie's one that's who introduced uh, Eddie to uh, to the work of Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was fun. So 
That was great. I've now seen this movie eight times, so thank you. Um, You've only heard it seven times. Do you have any parting words you'd like to leave with the listeners? Live the life that you love. <laughs> love the life that you live. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Mariah. Yeah, this thank was you. Fun. This is great.